You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Sick of those trivia podcasts that you don't even understand how to operate and they just have too many levers and buttons? There's got to be a better way. Now there is with Good Job Brain, an offbeat quiz show and trivia podcast that makes learning new things easy and fun. I just learned that artificial vanilla flavoring sometimes comes from the anal glands of a beaver, and now I can never shake that mental image. Thanks, Good Job Brain. Good Job Brain is available for the low price of just four easy payments of free. It's a podcast. Good Job Brain is part of Airwave Media and available on all podcast apps. Operators are standing by. People pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. Again, welcome to Ego Fest 12. It's the time where we peel back the curtain and reveal all those dirty little secrets behind the projection booth. On this episode, you're going to hear the roll call of our fantastic Patreon backers, interviews with Dan Gardner of the Run P app, the most helpful app on my phone, as well as Kevin Goatee of the Gutting the Sacred Cow podcast, on which I made an appearance recently talking about the Boondock Saints, though Kevin thinks I was on another episode until I set him straight. We'll have that coming up in a little bit. Yet another wacky case of mistaken identity. And speaking of mistaken identity, I'm joined on this episode by the one and only No Fugazi here, Mr. Mark Begley. Hang on to your ego. Hang on. But I know that you're going to lose the fight. That was the song that I played the very, I think, maybe first Ego Fest. So I'm glad we're on the same page here. Kind of figured it probably played out or, or opened at some point. It's definitely one of my favorites. 
Mark, of course, as everybody listening to this knows, is the host of Wake Up Heavy and recently one of the month-long co-hosts on Chris uh, Stashew's Hot Begley on Begley Action February. Fantastic time. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for having me. I'm I'm glad and surprised to be back on another Ego Fest. Well, it's always good talking with you, sir. Why the Begley on Begley February that you had over at Chris's uh, show? Because I have the same last name as somebody who's an actor, I think is really the, <laughs> it's not a very common last name and maybe a little more common than Stashew, uh, quite a bit less common than White, but it's just always kind of tickled me that there's a guy out there running around with the same last name who who's... Made something of himself in the world. And I love that you went for all those starring roles that Ed Begley Jr. was in. I had to put a little kink into it and and find – it really was to find movies that I was interested in talking about at some point. And it just sort of became a little bit of a goof, I guess, that they happen to be ones where he's barely in it. But, you know, they're all pretty – interesting films i think so it was fun to curate that which one was your favorite to talk about i enjoyed citizens band because that was the one that was new to me and uh also because there were four hosts on that one which i haven't i don't think i've participated in uh, in a recording with that many people are you saying you haven't had a foursome before no i have not that is true in all aspects of my life I'm barely in a room with more than one person, so they were all fun to talk about. And I I probably learned more on on that episode, uh, since it was a new to me a new to me movie. But yeah, it was it was fun. And I I, I could do the same thing next year or probably won't, but he's had so many little bit parts in so many movies, it could extend for a number of years. I would be very curious for a Ed Begley senior conversation. That's a possibility too. I just saw him in something the other day. Um, I think with Henry Fonda and a couple other guys, 10 other guys. Yeah. And <laughs> well, no, it wasn't that, <laughs> but I know that they, they were in a number of films together, I believe. Um, and I can't remember. I think it was a Western. Yeah, Ed Begley was definitely in some Westerns. I want to see if he was even in a Clint Eastwood Western, but I could be wrong on that. There was a period of my life where I went through a lot of Eastwood Westerns, and Blockbuster was so nice to actually have them all in one section. So back when they were trying to do that weird, we're going to sort by actors thing. Yeah, that's fun. That was so stupid. <laughs> Fucking hated that. Where Where is... This movie, yeah, I, I I think ours did something similar, and I'm like, I, I always really got into it because they had they had a fucking Goldie Hawn section. I love Goldie, but really her own section, and then they had a <laughs> Mel Gibson section. So I'm like, well, where are you going to put Bird on a Wire? You going to order two copies, motherfuckers? What are you going to do? Two copies, yeah, do it, do it. Yeah, we'll get one for Bert and one for Clint, and we'll have City Heat in both of them. The video store that I worked at had theme rooms so you know they had a horror room they had a action room a comedy room little x-rated room in the back and so there's probably some movies that i took umbrage with their placement in the facility but not that i can remember any of them right now but 
at least it wasn't by actor. I can't even imagine trying to stock the shelves or look for a movie in that scenario. Yeah, there's that great Simpsons joke where Bart goes into the adult room and it's like Kieslowski and uh, <laughs> Truffaut. Brideshead's going to get revisited tonight, baby. Now that I could have gotten into. Those were the tapes that we had to repair the most whenever when I worked there. So we fixed broken tapes. They had a whole little VHS splicing thing in the back. And it was almost always porno film. Oh, I thought it was the art house <laughs> movies. All those Bergman tapes that would just get played and played and played. Played and played and rewound yeah. to that one special scene. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's that <laughs> that moment in Stalker that uh, people would rewind all the time where something actually happened. Right. Or or when the siren's going. Yeah. yeah. When, the, when the glass goes off the table. I missed it. What the hell happened just there? Yeah. Old video store days. Hmm. Mm. So I was very lucky. We've gotten in a lot of questions and hopefully I've got some answers. And then of course, Mark, if you've got any additional questions, cause you're always good for questions as well. I think I do. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. And sometimes these get answered in the process of answering other questions. So if that happens, I will mark mine off. Sorry, Josh Hadley just sent me a picture because he likes to send me memes on Facebook. Once a day, he sends me a meme and I go, I've seen this already. Please, Josh, quit sending me fucking memes because we go to the same places on Reddit, my friend. I only have one meme place, some guy on Instagram whose stories I look at and my mom, my mom, my wife and daughter wonder why I'm cackling on the couch (laughs) looking at my phone. Like, yeah, something funny about cats and dogs or something in this. I love it. I'm like, great. That sounds real fun. (laughs) (laughs) Go back to your phone, dear. This is from Noel Thingval, and I apologize in advance if I mispronounce anybody's names. Oh, this this whole episode is all about mispronouncing names. Wait wait till later on. I won't make you sit through this, but when I have to read off everybody's names, whew. I have listened to that in the past. It's a noble calling. Okay, Noel asks, what is a favorite instance where reading the screenplay changed your perception of a film or what it was intended to have been? Recently, I read one of the early drafts of Super Mario Brothers. We're going to be doing an episode on that later in the year. The draft that I read by, I believe is Thomas Parker and Jim Genuine, that was really good. And I don't know where things went astray because shortly after that, like in the research, there's a meeting notes from the people who are eventually uh, credited with final screenplay credit or two of the three because Ed Solomon did a bunch of rewrites on it. And it's like, hey, we came up with all of these great ideas and this was what we heard when we went out to dinner with you guys and we'll come up with a screenplay for it. And they basically went off in their own direction, and it was not good. Uh, it's very close to what we ended up with on screen. And I know I could be getting a lot of hate mail here, and we'll probably will, uh, because I'm not a big fan of Super Mario Brothers, but I definitely want to do a deep dive on 
where it went wrong. And I think one of the reasons why it went wrong was that they went away from that original screenplay. It was actually really good and a lot of fun and kept more in the spirit of more in the spirit of the video game. That whole thing about losing a princess and you've got the, the bad guy out there. And I found it interesting. I was just doing, um, reading a book about, Super Mario, the video game. And I didn't realize that that was based on originally it was inspired by Popeye. So Donkey Kong was originally supposed to be Bluto. The princess was supposed to be olive oil and Mario was supposed to be Popeye, which is interesting because I think the same month we're doing Super Mario Brothers, we're also covering Popeye. So yeah. what a coinky dink. I, I probably would have played that game. As a, as a Popeye fan back in that time period. Not a big Donkey Kong fan? I'm not good at video games, so I never really got completely sucked in back then. I played Pac-Man, and I, I had a friend, I think, who had an early, probably Nintendo system. And I played the Smurfs game quite a bit on that, but never really got good, and it was just ultimately a... Uh, exercise and frustration. And so I, <laughs> I have never owned a gaming system in my life. When people would go to the arcade, like have their birthdays there, you know, I'd maybe spend a dollar or two and quarters and that was it. That's actually like, is- a really good idea. I've got a birthday coming up. I'm going to be turning <laughs> 50 in, there you go. in a few weeks. Probably the day that I drop this is going to be my 50th birthday. Maybe I'll go over to the uh, Dave & Buster's if they're still open. I don't even know. I'm sure. I think everybody's open now. Well, <laughs> so a lot of places just closed down completely. Oh, true. True. That is true. Yeah. Have a old school arcade and COVID party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine touching things that other people have touched at this point. Maybe bring some gloves or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just a big bag of gloves to change. Yeah, especially because it's going to be every all game. kids there, probably, other than a sad 50-year-old man who's there to play Tron and just suck at it. <laughs> yeah, that was the thing. I would die way too fast. I'm like, I'm not putting another quarter into this thing. <laughs> No, I was terrible. I can't even think of a video game that I was good at. I think maybe I could make it past the first level on Ms. Pac-Man, but that was about it, man. I liked playing them. I liked, oh, I loved Tempest and a little bit of Galaga, those kind of things, but Mm -hmm. I was awful at all of that stuff. I did okay on like the TV or the home versions of Space Invaders and stuff. Like if my friends had them, I would could do okay. But, yeah, mostly, nope. I don't know. I don't know what it is, because I have decent eye-hand coordination, so who knows? It was one thing to own a game, too. Like, my friend Jeff, he had, he and his brother had Mario Brothers for their Nintendo system, and so I would go over there, and I'd be like, okay, I've never played this before, and I would die immediately. And then they would, you know, they've had it for months or years, and they'd be like, boop, 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 just going through level after level. I'm like, okay, well, this is fun watching you guys play. (laughs) I would watch, that's mostly what I would do, is watch other people, and that even, as an adult, when like Tomb Raider came out. Mm-hmm. I had a friend who was very into it and I was, I would go over to their house a lot and 
if other most people went out and left and we'd still be sitting there and he'd pop it on and sit there for like four hours and watch him play. Wow. <laughs> and I figured it's, it's going to be actually more interesting than me trying to play it. Cause I'll just be frustrated. So you could kind of be the helper and say, Oh, try this little spot over here or something. <laughs> Which I'm sure he appreciated. Oh yeah. Yeah. Th- <laughs> thanks a lot. Bigly. But as far as other screenplays that I've read that change the perception, there's not a ton. Uh, there are usually a few scenes, like critical scenes, where it's like, wow, if they had kept that in, that would have really changed the tone or really adds a lot of nuance to things. As soon as you read the question, the first thing that popped to my mind was the opening scene of uh, Night Moves, the movie with Gene Hackman, there was an opening scene that never got shot. And I seem to remember thinking that was pretty, not critical, but it really helped give a little bit more um, nuance to Mosby in that it's been a while since I've read a screenplay that really just blew my socks off as far as how different it was or, wow, they really should have kept that scene or, boy, I'm glad they cut that out. Zach asks... During the entire process of putting together a podcast, what do you find to be the most rewarding and or enjoyable part? Also, on the flip side, what do you dread or find to be the most tedious? Probably the most enjoyable part is the actual recording and sitting down with folks that you like a lot and just talking about a movie. I think that's probably the thing that's the most fun. Though I really like the research part of it and digging up stuff and then especially talking to people, like talking to, you know, the actors, the directors, the writers, and just kind of getting their take on stuff, especially, I mean, it's like putting together a big puzzle sometimes, you know, I read this and how was that? Or like you read a news story, you read an article and then actually getting the real story behind it because not to sound like a weird conspiracy theorist, but I've been saying for years, like sometimes journalists are a little lax when it comes to checking on things or especially entertainment journalists. It's like, here's the press pack and here's the official story about things. And then you find out, Oh yeah, that was all made up by a publicist. So finding out what the real (laughs) deal is behind something is really kind of fascinating. So kind of being that detective, you are fake news. So I would say probably, Talking with friends first, research and interviews second. And then as far as what I dread, you would think that I love audio editing because I do it all the time. (laughs) But my God, that's what I do all the fucking time. Every fucking weekend, almost every fucking night of the week, I'm there editing stuff. So all those conversations, every time I do an interview, sometimes it's like, really, do I have to do an interview? Because that means it's going to take me another at least three hours to edit this. That kind of sucks. Yeah, and I think there's a question coming up later on about that whole situation. The editing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah, we can talk about that because you also edit like crazy. So, you know my pain. I don't have nearly as much to edit as you do. So there is that. And next we have Alvin Ikarma, the famed director, Alvin Ikarma of lethal force fame. One of my favorite movies ever made. And I'm, it sounds like I didn't fuck up his name. So I'm happy about that. Congratulations. 
Why have you let your show be ruined by politics, and how long do you intend for it to continue? Also, Ukraine. <laughs> I'm assuming this is tongue in cheek. Yeah, yeah. Alvin's a he's a he's a prankster. Uh, yeah. So of course, Alvin is referring to all the people that leave negative reviews on iTunes and other places, talking about how the show's ruined by politics. And I also was uh, putting out the call for questions, and he um, he's the also Ukraine is referring to someone who is like. I don't have time for podcasting or any of this stuff uh, while there's war in the Ukraine happening. Uh, how selfish it is for me to be uh, putting together this ego fest during this troubling times. So shame, shame. I can do a lot of stuff about things in Ukraine from my basement. So I think I saw that exchange. I mean, thoughts and prayers, question mark. Yeah, as I butted in, the world's been shit for two years. Is everything else supposed to stop? I mean, I mean, the podcast has been what's helped keep me going, especially during all the COVID times. I mean, otherwise, I wouldn't have talked to anybody other than my wife, you know, and she's sick of talking to me or hearing my voice, you know, and I've got all these other suckers out there that actually like to hear my voice sometimes. So except when I talk about how much I dislike uh, Trump. Well, you have a bunch of snowflake woke liberals on your show, so I can kind of understand. The- yeah, yeah, a lot of snowflake, a lot of libtards, definitely. I kind of surround myself with those folks. All right, I think I will throw in one of mine. So Mark Begley asks, have you met any of your co-hosts or interview subjects in person? Yeah, actually, I met Chris Stashew in person once. We met up in Toronto a few years ago. I was up there for a, like a fan convention. I was uh, moderating a couple panels. I think that was the year when I moderated the panels for, was that Orlando Bloom? That might, no, I think it was the Christopher Lloyd one, as opposed to the year where I did the Danny Trejo Orlando Bloom. I can't remember, but yeah, we actually, uh, I met him and his dad and we had uh, Korean barbecue together. So that was very nice. Damn, that sounds like a party. Yeah, it was really good. Um, I have met in person a couple of the guys from We Hate Movies when they were doing their tour. They, Steve and Andrew were on an episode or each on an episode. I feel so bad. I feel like I really was like, I was expecting Andrew Jupin to be more like he is on their podcast, but it's so different. We Hate Movies is such a different podcast than The Projection Booth. So I felt like I Mm kind of was like, hey, dance monkey, come on, do your, uh, (laughs) do your George C. Scott. Come on, let's do it. And then same for Steve. He was on the Hamburger, the movie, uh, the motion picture, sorry, um, episode, which I was treating very seriously. And yeah, it was, it was bad. I feel very bad for (laughs) having both of those guys on, not for, me, but for them, I feel like I should have um, handled both of them a, a lot better because they're really nice guys um, and that they took the time to be on the show. I mean, there's some people that are my friends that have been on the show, like Mike Thompson, Leon Chase. Um, I'm trying to remember Colin, of course. I've met him plenty of times. Ed Pettit, uh, Jedediah Ayers, even Andrew Leovold and Andrew Nettie as well. And then as far as 
interview subjects. Uh, I met Tom Noonan in person and that's what managed to get an interview because I actually, I don't go to a lot of conventions hearing this conversation. You would think that I do, but I went to a convention here in Detroit specifically to meet him and try to pitch to get him on the show. Mm -hmm. Um, I tried the same with Eric Roberts that did not work. Uh (laughs) (laughs) He's busy making movies every day of the week. Very busy. Yeah. There's a talking cat movie (laughs) out there. That's got his name on it. If Oh, I know. I met Vincenzo Natale in person once uh, up in Toronto, and he says that he actually remembers that, which is pretty impressive. Um, same thing with Corey uh, Maccabee from uh, The American Astronaut. Corey's got one of those weird superpowers where he can remember you and actually remember details and stuff like, you know, oh, yeah, we talked uh, at this time and date and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, holy shit, how do you remember that? <laughs> it's really remarkable. Yeah, I'm, I'm the opposite. Yeah. Oh, yeah, me too. So that's why I'm sitting here struggling. <laughs> yeah, going, have I met anybody else in person? But yeah, generally, it's almost all via the phone. Like one of these days, if I ever get out to Los Angeles or get back to New York, hopefully I'll be able to meet some more people in person. We had Joyce who is in, uh, or who helped make, um, raw talent. Oh, I know Larry Ravine. He's been on the show a bunch of times, but he's even co-hosted and I met him for beers out in, um, uh, New York. And then I can't remember if that was before the raw talent episode or after, but he's been on the show a bunch of times. So yeah, there have been times where I've actually met some folks, maybe not as many as I would have liked. That was more than I was expecting, actually. That is pretty cool. One of these days, Heather and I are going to have a, a drink together. I would love to see you in person. See if you actually have any legs or not. Just see, like, <laughs> yeah. I know up. everybody. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when I met. I finally met Father Malone, and I'm just like, "Holy shit, you're tall!" I had no idea. <laughs> Once things clear up, <laughs> maybe I'll travel somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that was really nice, actually. Morris Brzezinski, who's been on the show a ton. He was traveling around the States with his family, and moreover, he was traveling around Canada, and he had a really nice dinner where it was him and me and his wife and his kids and my wife, and then it was also um, one of the guys from the GTTMC, the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, and Scott Clickers from Married with Clickers, and we all had... A uh, really nice vegetarian dinner at a place in Toronto. I guess I meet most of my podcasting friends in Toronto. Um, <laughs> and that was terrific to finally be able to say hi to some of these guys in person, especially I had recorded with uh, Big Willie and Morris and um, Scott a few times by that point. Oh, Morris is a, is, a good, is a good co-host. He's a good dude, man. I really like him. Next question, and this is a name I might screw up. Howard, I don't know if it's Pirate, Pirate, Pirate. Yeah, I'm probably actually making way more of it. I think I asked him, and I think uh, he said that it's Pirate. Okay, well, that's how it's spelled, but you know, I seem to remember putting a. Um, oh, uh, I think he actually put the Rat Band from the '80s uh, as a GIF in the conversation. Well, there you go. So Howard Pirat asks, is Jaws 3D worth a remake? Oh, this is a three-part question. 
should Brody just let Shamu into the lagoon to fight? Who should play Calvin Calvin Bouchard? Wow, that's that's a pretty meaty thing. That's a, that's a heavy three parter. Right it there. is. It is. I mean, this is this is up there with like Ukrainian politics. Um, I'm not a big you know like people come down on remakes a lot but of course um you know let's go back to the maltese falcon episode i mean the maltese falcon that most people know and love is the third time that they tried to make that movie so should we go back to jaws 3d yeah yeah why not why not i mean we've already kind of remade the jaws films with some of these uh deep blue sea movies which aren't very good at all. You know, there's all of these different shark movies that are out there on sci-fi, which they're still making. What the fuck? Yeah. They're still making these. <laughs> I just saw like the shark cyst. So it's like a, a, either. Oh, I saw one the other day that was even worse than that. Oh, was it Amityville in space? It might've been Amityville shark. I think that's what I'm thinking of. You've got the Meg. I mean, they're still making shark movies, so. The Meg I actually kind of like, and I especially like it because it's got real rudimentary Mandarin in there, so I can actually understand what they're saying in Mandarin, which is neat. There's a little boy on the beach who wants to go swimming, and he's just like, Yao Chu, Yao Chu. And I'm like, I want to go. I want to go. I'm like, oh, I can understand this. Yeah, why, why not make remake Jaws 3D? I think you could really, I can't say only get better from there because the original is such a classic. But I would say, yeah, go. let's go ahead and do a, a remake. I don't know. I think Shamu has been dead for a while, the original <laughs> Shamu. I would think like a shark versus killer whale fight would be pretty cool. So I think that's Michael Brody in that one. I think that would be mm. absolutely fine if Michael Brody did that. And as far as who should play Calvin Bouchard, I mean, let's stick with the Deep Blue Sea thing and just have Samuel L. Jackson in there. There you go. I don't know. This is this is sounding kind of good, so you might want to TM copyright this this little section here. The most important part is that it still has to be in 3D. Oh yeah. Cuz it's advanced so much since then and doesn't give people headaches anymore. Maybe Jim Cameron could use some of that fancy 3D work that he's doing on those Avatar films. Actually, why not just do full VR? There you go. Just people in the audience still paying to go sit in the audience and put the thing on. Yeah. Somebody in my office at work has way too much money or way too much pull because they have us doing VR trainings a lot of times. So you sit there and you're, you're in an office, you put on the headset and you're in a different office. And then it's the guy who's just like, okay, I'm going to tell you about, you know, difficult conversations. I just went through one the other day and it was about, um, like, uh, bias, like, uh, mm-hmm. unconscious biases. And it was me doing an interview, a, uh, job interview. First person up was this white dude with all these tattoos. And then there was a kind of a gender neutral female. And then there was a black woman. And I'm just like, okay, I'm supposed to like show you that I don't like these people or how do I react to these folks? And at the end, they showed me this graph and I'm like, I don't understand this at all. Cause like each one of these people, they had the exact same answers to the questions and the questions were almost exactly the same. 
So I'm just like, what are you measuring? The only thing I didn't like about the white guy was that he seemed kind of flip. Why are we spending all this money on VR equipment for training? That sounds like one of those near future dystopian movies where, you know, they sit the poor sap down into the, in the office to, to put on the thing that puts them in another office. I mean, I, it's probably been done already. So I don't know if this is all one anonymous person. These are many anonymous questions. I just kind of lumped them all together. Yeah. Anonymous asked a lot of questions. <laughs> Let's get to the first anonymous question. Why are people afraid to ask these questions? They're perfectly fine questions. Uh, starting with, what podcasts are you listening to? Anything you recommend? I don't know about you, Mark, but I don't have time to listen to a lot of podcasts. I'm too busy making my own. I am an avid listener of a few podcasts. So other than podcasts that my direct friends put out there, so Wake Up Heavy, The Culture Cast, some of these uh, podcasts that are out there, I always listen to We Hate Movies. Absolutely love We Hate Movies, which is funny because I think later on when you hear Kevin Goatee's interview, he will talk about other movie podcasts and it's like, well, we don't go beat by beat through the movies. And I'm like, well, that's kind of what I like about We Hate Movies is the way mm -hmm. that they break stuff down. They do the same thing in God Awful Movies, which is another show that I listen to pretty darn regularly. God Awful Movies almost gets too into the minutia, like too into the beats of the films. Um, so some of those episodes last, and this is the pot calling the kettle black. Some of their episodes last a little too long for my taste, <laughs> but I really like their takes on things. So God awful movies, we hate movies. The other one I've been listening to, and I can't tell if I'm quote unquote hate listening to it or not is the, I think it's called downloaded, but it's spelled weird. It's D O W N L. O W dot D it's kind of fucked oh. up. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> that is the rise and fall of Harry Knowles podcast. Mm. And the first one felt really Harry Knowles is fucking fantastic. And I was just like, Oh my God. And then since then they've kind of come down a little bit off of that hill and it is talking more about the behind-the-scenes stuff at Ain't It Cool News. Did you read Ain't It Cool News when it was a thing? I don't remember anything about that site. Most of the news that I got until pretty recently was stuff on Facebook. So it, it kind of started with, I think, The Nerdist and uh, Bloody Disgusting. And there's a couple other that are maybe lean more towards horror or um, genre film. And, but a lot of times things would just get shared and I, about a movie and I'd be like, Oh, and I didn't think about who was behind. I had no idea who was behind any of these things. And so, but that it doesn't, I, I see it come up in reference to him and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Probably read some articles that they put out, but... Oh, you probably remember their ugly, ugly site. The ones that I've seen since then that have been referenced and, and you know, people have made comments about that stuff, I didn't... I, I never saw any of those um, the Blade particular review. review. Yeah, I... I so, I, I can say that would have 
left an impression that I wouldn't have forgotten. It was mostly like, you know, the, this horror, these horror films are playing at South by Southwest this year and blah, blah, blah. Well, I've been working online since 97, which is weird to think that I've been 25 years in the internet business and I was online probably 94, 95 mm-hmm. when I was working at one of my first jobs. I was working at Comcast and we had CompuServe was our thing. So not even America online. Mm-hmm. And eventually. Like I found all my old college friends who I just graduated with in 94 and they're just like, Hey, we should start a web page. Somebody needs to learn HTML. And I'm like, HTML, what's that? And then I <laughs> went out and I bought a book, the complete idiot's guide to HTML. And I read that. And then I started, I was doing a zine at the time and I started making a web page for my zine. And I was just like, this is fucking fun. I want to do this full time. And so it was at my first full-time internet job that I remember running across Ain't It Cool News and just, I mean, they kept that same, I don't know if I went out to the site now, I don't even know if the site exists anymore, but that look and feel of that site was so horrendous. And then all of these articles by these guys using pseudonyms and then especially Harry, Harry's, well, everybody but Harry, Harry's articles were so bad, just so bad. And I, there was a friend of mine who also, who was a co-host on the show, who I'd met years and years ago. He's a filmmaker, Scott Colonico, and he had a site called Ain't It Harry News, I think it was, and he would review Harry. (laughs) And he would like kind of right in Harry's style about Harry and like, you know, how he saw Harry and his dad at this screening and how Harry, you know, always had to have the same seat in the theater and all this stuff. And I just remember Scott calling Harry the empresario of exclamation points because he loved his exclamation points. And just every single Harry review was like four, five, six, seven, eight paragraphs of, Harry getting to the theater, getting the popcorn, getting all this stuff before he would ever get to the meat of the story. And it was just the definition of bearing the lead. And it's like, all right. And I don't consider myself to be a good writer, but I just always knew that I was a better writer than Harry. And I'm just like, how is this guy getting all of this attention for this horrible website? Yeah, it it boggles the mind sometimes uh, who who makes it in. In different scenes. Yeah. What's been very funny. So this download podcast, I, I'm having this love hate relationship with it because it is getting into some of these behind the scenes things that I had no idea about because I just wasn't into the politics of the time. And, but the guy who is doing it, I think his name is Joe Scott. His, the, the pattern of his voice is so similar to somebody that I know. And don't like that it's, it kind of drives me crazy. Cause you would think that they were raised like in the same household. They have the exact same intonations. They, uh, abuse words in the same way. Like they'll use the wrong word for the, uh, something that it doesn't mean. And it's just like, wow. It's like, I found this guy's twin. It's really strange. And the other thing that I'm waiting to get to is, Drew McWeeny and 
Because Drew McQueen is the only guy from the whole Ain't It Cool scene that I think has kind of made anything of himself. And Drew McQueenie, that fucker. Um, this uh, whole thing of him. I he think was, I follow him on Twitter. <laughs> I blocked him on Twitter and then I, re- I found that he, he had done something. He was just like, I'm blocked by this person, meaning me. And I don't know why I'm blocked. Well, I'll tell you why you're blocked, Drew McQueenie. <laughs> I think I saw that, actually. (laughs) It's because Drew McWeeney used to go into all of these press screenings for stuff and then write about the press screenings. And that was like verboten. You're not supposed to do that. Not press screenings. I'm sorry. Test screenings. Test screenings. Mm -hmm. You're not supposed to do that. But it was just this big badge of honor like, oh, well, we're protecting the rights of the artist by writing about these test screenings and blah, 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 blah. Well, then cut to a few years later. I'm sure you remember when that early version of Wolverine or, uh, yeah, I think it was X-Men Origins colon Wolverine when that came out. He went on this whole thing about how unfair it was and that nobody should see this and just that it's, you know, terrible that people are writing about this early version of, of Wolverine. And I'm just like, you motherfucker used to write about early <laughs> versions of stuff all the time. Is it just that we are the great unwashed? Are we not educated enough to handle seeing X-Men Origins Wolverine and judging it by ourselves? It's like you used to work for a site that claimed that they would hack into the Academy Awards, but yet you're angry that people are writing about and seeing this early version of Wolverine? Just talk about being so hypocritical as i often say so out of the loop the ignorance is it's not just bliss it's just like i i don't i don't know who who these people are that uh, when i started on twitter shortly after starting wake up heavy you know i was mostly just like try to find film people and then you find a couple and then you sort of you know look at their lists and or someone will all pop up and add you as a friend first or whatever. So, you know, as a lot of times you see this, I see a lot of you still follow this person or whatever. And, um, I always click and I'm like, Oh no, I don't. Okay. So (laughs) I've never encountered that yet. Although I think Harry Knowles actually, I think initiated the follow, uh, and I didn't really know who he was, so well, look I, at he you. followed me. And then, and I think it's 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 film. A lot of there are some people who just like follow back or follow people, whoever, just anybody. And because there are people I know that that followed me after I follow them, and I'm like, why did this person follow me? But then I realize they're like followers and following are almost exact. So there are those people that just. Whoever follows me, I'll follow them back. I always vet their page um, first, usually. And because it's Twitter, it doesn't need to be, I don't need to follow a wide array of people to get varying views on everything. I curate my Twitter page to be (laughs) people of a similar mind, at least, if not a like mind. So, yeah, I do discover things later on about some people, and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a lot of people. I will gladly claim ignorance on a lot of folks as well. Cause it's like, who are you again? Or like, there's just a few people 
God, what was his name? John Squires, I think, where it was just like everything that he wrote about him, just like, you're wrong. You continue to be wrong about all of this stuff. So I'm just like, yeah, I'm, I'm done following you. There's a few people where I've just blocked or unfollowed because they're just, their, their taste is horrible. There's only <laughs> like a few people where I'm just like, I will get upset and not really like heavily upset, but I'm just like, what are you doing? Like, there's that guy, um, Devin Faraci, who is a total piece of shit. And he was, um, like worked at the Alamo draft house. And I know there's a mm. lot of allegations against people from the Alamo draft house. I think Tim league, um, it's, uh, is kind of suspect and all that too. And Faraci has a Patreon page that after he quit, Alamo and birth death movies or whatever that sh- birth movies death, I think it's called. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. After he quit that, he started this Patreon. He's like, now he's a Buddhist and he's like reevaluating his life and all this horse shit. I'm just like, okay. And there are all these motherfuckers that are given to his Patreon. I'm just like, who are you people? Like, why are you doing that? It's really awful that you support this person. So. Yeah, that was one of those guys that popped up like, I have a bunch of mutuals following this person. And I'm like, oh, uh, nope, not me. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So there's only a few times where I'm just like, what? What are you doing here? And then there was one the other day that just popped up on my my Facebook memories where it was this guy who's just like ranting and raving. It was probably like three, four years ago. He's ranting and raving about, you know, how awful Hillary is and that she's a Russian agent and all this stuff. And I'm like, uh, okay. I think we, I think we know who the puppet is. No puppet. No puppet. So I'm like, oh, who's still friends with this guy? He's still kind of a piece of shit. I even went to his page and I was just like, yeah, okay. Yeah. I I forgot. I got to block this guy. Yeah. Facebook is, I try to be even more like, it's only people I, I know for the most part. But, um, yeah, there's some quackos, wackos, oh, yeah. quackos out there. Quackos indeed. <laughs> Whatever that is. <laughs> Quacks and wackos. Here's a good question. <laughs> I think that some of these people might be stoking the fire a little bit here. I think they're prodding the, <laughs> poking the bear here. Why weren't you nominated for a Rondo award this year? Well, I can tell you why. Cause I suck. That's why. <laughs> Yeah. Why else? Why. why else wouldn't I be nominated for a Brando? <laughs> I've been nominated every other year for the last, gosh, how who, long since one? Seven years, eight years, something like that. Who who nomin- Who is in charge of nominating? See, this is another spot where I'm. Uh, I know what they are, but like, oh, who nominates? You're gonna like this. You're gonna like this. So there's this online forum. Uh, I think it's the classic movie board or something, or they call themselves the monster kids. And so if you like look up monster kids, classic horror movie board or something like that, there's a online forum and the guy who runs the Rondos, whose name I uh, don't remember right now, David Colton, something like that. He, he basically just has a thread out there and he puts it up every single year. I think at the end of the previous year and he's just like, okay, you know, here's the thread for the next Rondo awards and basically go out and nominate people. So that's how you get nominated is people go in there 
and but really the the thing is once you get nominated you just stay on that list forever um until you do like me and i actually asked for my name to be removed from the list <laughs> cuz for years and years it's been it hasn't been podcast it's been multimedia and so i'm never going to win ever because multimedia also includes all the youtube channels and that includes trailers from hell so who uh, me this dickwad from detroit is never going to be able to compete against fucking joe dante and all these guys that are out there so yeah i'm never going to win this and it just it became a little bit to me a source of embarrassment i did ask uh, for them to split multimedia from podcasts just because multimedia can mean something so different than podcasts. It's like, let podcasts be podcasts. Right. The other thing that I found really weird is that they have a category for best interview, but they don't include podcasts in that. It's only print interviews. And I'm like, mm. you should be more specific and say best print interview. So yeah, I actually asked my asked for me to be removed, and then of course this year they finally broke out uh, podcast into their own category. Oh. <laughs> but the other thing is that the Ronda Awards are supposed to be uh, just horror related, and mm -hmm. I don't consider the projection booth to be a quote unquote horror podcast. I would say. Your podcast definitely qualifies uh, way more than mine. And if anything, maybe people should go out there and write in Wake Up Heavy as the best podcast for 2021. That ain't going to happen. Well, you know. <laughs> the other I, uh, I understand and, and, and appreciate your, your reasoning there. But, yeah, I, I, I see it pop up. I don't know. I don't even think I've ever voted on it or anything. It. it it's one of those things where it seems like it's the same people all the time. And, um, but it's nice when I see people I know on there, even though I probably don't go and vote for them. Um, cause what does one vote matter? You know, Mike, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> um, awards of any media are always kind of a interesting, funny little thing. That, that usually don't really measure the worth of, of most things accurately anyway. So so you weren't nominated because you took yourself out of the running. That's what I'd like to say. And that's what I – I mean, I did go onto that forum and ask a couple times to be taken off. To vote for the Rondos is another thing. So first off, it's so antiquated that you go onto a board to nominate. Second off, when you vote, you have to send an email – to that David Colton guy. And it's like, here's my email address. And basically like, I guess you would copy the, the, what I've done in the past. I'd be like category 19 best podcast colon. And then the person that I thought should win it. And, or I'd write right in with the name or whatever, if it wasn't there, but there's no online way of voting other than, email. So it's like the most antiquated thing. So even asking people like, Hey, go vote for me or something, which a lot of people are out there shilling for votes like crazy. And it's like, what? But yeah, do, voting in it is, is very difficult. And then I was just, I was looking at the best podcast list right now. Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast is on here. That's going to win. I mean, there's, 
and that's probably going to win until Gilbert and Frank drop dead because it's just, it's the most well known of all of these podcasts. Things like Colors of the Dark with Rebecca McKendry and Elric Kane. That's probably one of the better podcasts that's on this list. And then you have like Faculty of Horror, which is kind of an odd one because I don't even think that they publish very often. I want to say it's like once or twice a year. So it's just like all of these things. It's monthly, I believe. Okay. I haven't seen a new posting from them in a long time. I think it's monthly. They may have may have had um, longer stretches here with the pandemic, but uh, as far as I recall, it was. But I could be wrong. So Godfrey's podcast is horror-related? Not really. He likes Frankenstein a lot. Gilbert loves Frankenstein a lot, so he will talk about Frankenstein a bunch. But really, it's... I mean, it's, you know, like, I would see, like, you know, I don't know. I'm going to pull out a, a celebrity. I would see, like, Bob Denver interviewed on there. And it's like, what? That's not okay. related to horror at all. I would say, like, one <laughs> yeah, out of 12 was... podcasts probably has somebody that was in a horror movie once. Mm. So, yeah, very weird. I mean, Made for TV Mayhem with Amanda Reyes is probably the most dedicated podcast that I know that's on here. And... If if you're not writing in Wake Up Heavy, I would say Made for TV Mayhem is probably where you want to go. But again, good luck toppling Gilbert Gottfried, the monster that is Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> Frankenstein monster. I love Gilbert, but it's like when you look at like his numbers versus other people's numbers, I'm sure that he's gotten a few more subscribers. I wonder if he shills for votes, though. I doubt it. I doubt it. Here's another interesting poke in the bear question. Who is your online stalker? Oh boy. If I knew <laughs> it wouldn't be a stalker anymore. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. So I've got a guy that I and I know it has to be a guy. Cause I don't think that women are as petty as this person started a few years ago while well, when Trump was in office and I would just like occasionally make fun of Trump on the show <laughs> and they have weird tactics. It's like they signed me up for all of these Republican newsletters and stuff. So I was getting like, you know, Orange County Republican Club, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, well, this is odd. But then at the same time, it's like, well, only one out of 20 of these makes it through to my inbox because they're all getting flagged as spam. And so if I continue to mark these other ones as spam, Aren't I, in effect, actually hurting the, say, Orange County Republican Club because it looks like they're spamming people? So it's just really weird. And then there's like, I can tell they must read my Twitter because if I go on there and I say shit about them, just like what a pathetic person that they are, uh, all of a sudden, like, I'll get more in my spam <laughs> box. And it's just like to have a podcaster that you have a fight with, but you don't even want to like say who you are or anything. It's just so bizarre. Mm. What a weird existence yeah. to have. I mean, it's just so sad. I mean, and they're not even like hot and calling me and asking me to play Misty for them or boiling my <laughs> rabbits or anything. It's just like this. Yeah. It's just so sad. Banal stalking. Yeah, yeah. It's just passive aggressive stalking. 
very passive aggressive. It's like, okay, I guess you're hurting me because you're making me check my spam box and seeing that I have like press releases that I've missed from other places. So thank you. Yeah. It's taking away valuable time to do this next very important thing here. And we're getting it. So we're back to the editing question. I saw you complaining on Twitter that you spend every weekend editing. Why do you do that to yourself? If I don't spend every weekend (laughs) editing, you're going to spend time listening to people on the show like me say, um, and, uh, and like, and sorta, and kinda. And the biggest one is, I think that it's like, well, of course you think that you're saying it. So just don't say, I think that it's so, hard. It's so hard. People have crutches. Everybody's got crutches. And you sure do find them out pretty fast when you're editing your own voice. <laughs> boy, oh boy. Yeah. And other people's. I'm curious how much I'm going to have to edit this episode. <laughs> how many times I've said like and kind of and sort of and all those things. This is the kind of thing. And I, and it's hard for me to, to do this because I don't do it for my own stuff. But this is almost the kind of thing where I would do what Chris Dashew does and truncate silence it all truncate silence level it and throw it out there <laughs> i have yet to do that myself i could never do that i could never do that you know if you're giving me your time listening to stuff i'm gonna take the time and edit and make the what i hope is the best show that can possibly be out there and by doing that i think that takes a lot of all of those filler words and what I call the wind up, you know, where you are thinking about what you're going to say and then you finally say it, taking all that stuff out and all those times that people talk over each other. You know, of course, I think this is more of a controversial thing that I remove a lot of laughter. <laughs> so that's going away, Mark, what you just did. There. Yeah, I, yeah, I expect it now. I, re- I remember when you started showing, you know, doing the the tutorials, I guess it was at the beginning of the pandemic. I was like, why are you taking all the laughter out? Why are you removing the joy from these episodes, Mike? I'm hoping that it makes me sound like I have the most dry sense of humor in the world. Before I watched you do that, I would listen to the episodes. And it's not like they're, they're bereft of humor. I would find it curious though when i heard someone either make an obvious joke or just say something funny and i was like boy no one else found that those people didn't find that funny at all <laughs> and then i understood oh he's, he's now he's, he's removing the laughter you don't remove it all but people should be thankful and i i know as a co-host i'm thankful Okay, this is going to get worked on to where, for the listener, it's a lot easier. And if you are a co-host or a guest host, you can be safe in knowing Mike's going to make me sound at least 10% smarter than I, I am or 10%, 10 to 20% smarter than I came off. And that's, I think, people who listen to the show should be grateful for that and co-hosts should be grateful for that because it does it does help um 
it helps with the listenability of the show for sure. And I think people maybe don't realize that removing those words and the, and the windups and things makes the discussion flow just much easier. It's just much easier to listen to without a bunch of hiccups throughout. So, I mean, those shows that I mentioned before, like we hate movies and got awful movies. I don't know how much Noah edits got awful movies. I don't think that they edit too much on we hate movies, but it actually works because of their style of comedy and that it's much more stream of consciousness and that they, you know, they're making jokes. And so obviously laughter helps on that. And you're listening to a comedy show. I don't necessarily consider, I don't consider the show to be a horror podcast, nor do I consider it to be a comedy podcast. I will, yeah, make jokes. And a lot of times I just want them to land with a thud rather than laughter. And my laughter is horrible. I hate my laugh. So I just want to cut out as much of that horsey laughter that I have. And I laugh at my own jokes a lot. I do. I'm guilty of that. And your laugh is fine, Mike. You kind of have to confront your own voice, obviously, if you're doing this and editing this. And sometimes it's not so bad. And other times I'm just like sitting there <laughs> listening to myself going, what the hell? But I will always include a little bit of laughter when Mike is on. So if you want to hear Mike laugh, you can come. You can go listen to the episodes <laughs> he's been on over at Wake Up Heavy. Right. Or even at the Culture Cast, are going to, if Chris is editing it, then there it's going to be in there. Oh, yeah. I'm the culture cashier for me. Go, wait a second. Let me see. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or wait, what was that name? Oh, yeah, it was this, you know, whereas with my show, I cut all that stuff out. So it's not like crafted like like an NPR show where, you know, it's scripted and who knows how many times somebody goes over a line or whatever. Not like that, but removing all that extraneous stuff. And it makes it a little bit more serious and e and easier to go down, which is is what the projection booth is. It's not jokey comedy routines. So, yeah, it makes sense. All right, let's go ahead and take a break, and we're going to play an interview with Kevin Goatee of the Gutting the Sacred Cows podcast. And we'll be back with that right after these brief messages. Sick of those trivia podcasts that you don't even understand how to operate, and they just have too many levers and buttons? There's got to be a better way. Now there is with Good Job Brain, an offbeat quiz show and trivia podcast that makes learning new things easy and fun. I just learned that artificial vanilla flavoring sometimes comes from the anal glands of a beaver, and now I can never shake that mental image. Thanks, Good Job Brain. Good Job Brain is available for the low price of just four easy payments of free. It's a podcast. Good Job Brain is part of Airwave Media and available on all podcast apps. Operators are standing by. Every passenger has a motive. Based on Agatha Christie's beloved novel and featuring a dazzling all-star cast, Death on the Nile will keep you guessing all the way to its final shocking conclusion. Add the critically acclaimed murder mystery to your movie collection today and enjoy deleted scenes, behind-the-scenes featurettes, and more. Available now on 4K Ultra HD, Blu-ray, and digital. Hi there, faithful Projection Booth listener, Chris Stashew here. 
you're looking for even more deep dive film discussion, both old and new, on and off the cinematic beaten path, check out the Culture Cast. Every episode, I'm joined by a different guest as we traverse the cinema landscape, talking about not only our monthly theme, but also some of the year's biggest films. I'm even joined by the host of the projection booth, the one and only Mike White. So if you want to listen to even more conversations on film, head on over to culturecast.com or find it on all podcatchers, both Android and iOS. Tuning into Sci-Fi TV. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm Brent Barrett. I'm Kevin Batchelder. I'm Wendy Hembrock. The viewer's guide to genre television. Welcome, everyone, to a special supernatural focus bonus Hello, everyone, show. and welcome to The Faith Box, a family of podcasts for the genre-loving television viewer. Welcome to Saturday Bee Movie Reel. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Study welcome Group. Welcome to the top genre characters of all time countdown. And tonight, we're going to be talking about Game of Thrones Season 3. Find us at TuningIntoSciFiTV.com. Kevin Goatee, tell me about Gutting the Sacred Cows podcast. How did you come up with the idea and what is your central thesis? Oh, my God. What a question to start off with, Mike. That's why you're a genius. And that's why we had on our very podcast. And by the way, great job with the uh, the Dark Knight. People were very upset at you for trying to shit on the Dark Knight. And then the the twist at the end was the funny part. (laughs) When was I shitting on the Dark Knight? And blanked. You did the, didn't you do the Dark Knight? No, we did Boondock Saints. Oh, that's it. God damn it. I swear to God, the dude who did Dark Knight, you guys look so fucking the same. I mean, the bald head, and you had the both of goatees and glasses. Shit, man. I'm sorry. Oh, what a what an auspicious start to this interview. Oh, and that's staying in there too. Yeah. I'm sorry. Listen, I fully take the L on that one. So goatees down 01 in the count. Here we go. Mike, fantastic job with Boondock Saints. People were like, oh, I forgot how fucking bad that was, or they were under a different impression when they watched it. So they like what you had to say about Boondock Saints. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Gutting the Sacred Cow. Okay, so that's my movie podcast. We do, my myself and my co-host Kevin Israel and I do every week. How it came about was this. I'm a movie snob. So was Kevin Israel. And I've done three different podcasts, some with mild to mild plus success, let's just say, to the point where none of those podcasts are uh, in the ether anymore. So I want, because again, I learned how this is truly a full-time job, not just let me throw it out there and everyone in the world is going to hear what I have to say. No, that's not remotely true. So this one, I, I was like, all right, let's really kind of study the process. But anyway, how the idea came to be, like I said, I'm a movie snob. So is Kevin. I knew being a, being comics, every podcast, every comic has a podcast and there are eight zillion movie podcasts out there. And to be completely frank and honest, most of them eat donkey dick. It's most of them. It's the same fucking three or four dudes sitting around a, a, a mic or two or three drinking a few beers. No problem with that. And just spouting off thoughts on films. Now we all do that guilty as charged. But the problem though is, the majority of them aren't fucking funny or entertaining, or they just reenact scene by scene walkthrough of the movie. Who wants to listen to that? Not me. If you do like that, that's cool. But that's that. Not I wanted again. I've always and I've created a few TV shows. My motto is take something that's been you know like the wheel, but find a little offshoot something where it's completely different than just the wheel. So I said movies. Everyone loves movies. We know that. Everyone had, and there are plenty of podcasts out there that go and shit on bad movies. That's too easy. 
let's find something different. Let's invite people on the podcast to pick a film that they hate or find overrated. But the twist is this. It has to be one of these criteria, widely beloved, critically acclaimed, or financial success. And I throw now, I should probably throw the fourth criteria in there now because I have to be a stickler, being that we've done so many films. It has to be a film that I know is going to anger people. For example, we get requests like, oh, award winner, English patient. Yeah, you know what? No one gives a shit. Pearl Harbor. We know everyone it made a ton of money. People fucking hate it. No one's going to care. The idea is for you to look at your phone or your, your tablet or whatever and go, what? Someone's got the balls to try and take down Jaws? Yep. Delvin Cox did that about a month ago in our podcast, and his asshole hasn't been the same since. Trust me. So we give a platform to those people who have a very unpopular opinion. You go, look, people, you're so wrong about this film. Here is why. And then they give their arguments. And before that even starts, we do five fun facts. We do critics um, uh, reviews, uh, Amazon five star and one star reviews, critics five and one star reviews. We also do figures about about the thing. We we have our we have our, our we call them the, the, our fans are you know, the ask a gutter where we invite our fans to ask whoever is gutting that film tonight questions that we they want us to ask the gutter on that show. So we have different segments. Again, it's not just a whole debate. So. The gutter comes on. They go, here's why this film sucks. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, whatever. Then Kevin and I give my notes and vice versa. Sometimes we agree with them. Sometimes the film hangs itself on its own merits. Uh, Sometimes we're like, you know, I see some of your points. I'm not going to die on the hill for this. Sometimes like, no, you're a fucking asshole. This movie is great. And every year, once a year, always around Christmas time, Kevin and Israel and I, We'll each take the gutters chair. So we sit in the gutter seat, pick a film that we hate or find overrated and take the tits out of it. So that's what we do on gutting the sacred cow. So basically we are giving a, a podium to those with the unpopular opinion and seeing just how many movies do really hold up. And wow, you will be surprised. You're like, yeah, man, that film was great. And you watch you like, wow, they're right. It's not as good as I remember it, or nope, it sucked from day one and it sucks now, or, Hey, you're a jerk off. This is an American classic. I'll see you in the barracks with the iron maiden on you. Heathen. How did you and Kevin Israel meet? Kevin and I are both comics. I didn't meet him. We're Facebook friends. That's how comics work. Usually the old joke with comics is I don't accept somebody unless they have a less, at least 150 mutual friends. Cause they're all comics looking to network and whatnot. So whenever you get that one off, you're like, who the fuck is this? So I don't know that name. Who who is this? We were friends on Facebook and he would pop into my feed and vice versa. We would have, uh, if I would talk movies, sometimes he would jump in there, vice versa. And when I had the idea for this podcast, I threw it out there like, hey, I'm looking for a co-host who knows his shit, you know, damn well well as well as I do. And who also is going to be trustworthy and have the fortitude to do the unsexy behind the scenes work that has to be done that you very well know about yourself there, Mike. So like, I need someone who's a hard worker who can, you know, cause I am, I'm, I am the captain of the ship and someone who can fucking, Hey, I mean, I need this done and that gets it done without any problems. And I was going through all the comments and then Kevin is pop in there goes to get, I'm interested. And right then and there go, that's it. I'm done. Search over. I knew, I knew um, Kevin was a lawyer. At, uh, at one point. So, and I'm in uh, corporate America as well. I do medical sales. So you had to have that kind of like yin and yang. I'm the loud one. I'm the one firing out 
jokes nonstop. He's more reserved, uh, analytical. He fires in some jokes here and there. So our yin and yang perfectly play well with each other. And uh, it's funny enough that I would say 80 to 85% of the time, we are in perfect uh, synchronicity of each other. I mean, when we give scores, when at the very end, when we give our arguments if the film is good or not, and uh, we give a score, I shit you not. I can't tell you how many times we are easily half a point away from each other, maybe even a full point and a good chunk amount of the time, dead nuts on each other. So a lot of times we share the same brain. There are definitely times we have one fucking at loggerheads and squared off in Mortal Kombat with our tastes. So tell me the worst one you guys had. Where were you the most at odds? Ace Ventura and Dumb and Dumber. Kevin Israel hates those films, those Jim Carrey ones. I fucking love them. Oh, he also did not like planes, trains, and automobiles. I think it's fantastic. So those are four right off the top that we uh, we differed on an opinion. And how about your guest? Who have you uh, disagreed with the most? The most. Well, that, that's an easy answer only because we've had him on the most, and that's Bill Schultz, our buddy uh, from Compound Media. He does the morning show with... Uh, Joanne Nosichinsky, who's also been on a shitload of times. They're both amazing people. We love them. Those are you, you may ask later on who are your favorite episodes. The answers are Bill Schultz, Joanne Nosichinsky, uh, Dave Landau did a did great job. Uh, we also love David, the producer, Delvin Cox. You know, those are a few people that you see their names. They always, they always bring the shit. Bill has done, I mean, at least five. Bill's first appearance, he came on to do Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And uh, he, uh, he he was promptly shown the door. Bill came on to do Independence Day. Oh, there's one, another one. He does not like Independence Day. Kevin Israel loves Independence Day, and I do not. Bill and Joanne, we did a live show with them last year, and we're doing one actually next week. They we we ran out of theater, and we show the movie that they're going to that they chose, and we do an episode right then and there on the spot. They chose last year, Karate Kid. It was right when Cobra Kai season three came out, which was awesome. He also did Superman. The 1978 Superman? Yeah, Christopher Reeves, right. Yeah, he we did that one. And that was the one he, uh, he finally got over the hump with. So Bill Schultz, we disagree with the most. And then Bill and Joanne have chosen for next week's live show is uh, Office Space. You're going to see a theme here. You, these are films that people are going to get pissed that people attack. Like, like I said before, I've chosen for my gutting role. I chose A Christmas Story because that film fucking stinks and i guarantee you will concede at least three points i don't care if you're the biggest fan in the world you will concede at least three points to me in that kevin israel hates the shining finds it insanely overrated same goes for him this year i did the, the princess bride because that film also stinks to high heaven and kevin israel chose 300 finding guests who have such unbridled passion against the film that's what we love and our fans know it. our fans know they know if it's a good episode or not in the first five minutes. because And then we'll know that we'll have to pick up the slack because they didn't bring it. They don't have enough bullets in the gun. They're just kind of like half-assing it. And the fans sniff it, and the fans fucking hate it, and the fans will let you know. They all go on Twitter and go, you fucking sucked, blah, 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 blah. Even though we don't encourage that, they still do it nonetheless. I have to say it was tough to find a movie to cover with you guys. And I had to go to my folks out on Facebook and say, okay, what's a movie that I absolutely hate, but then that it also meets those criteria. 
that you brought up that whole thing of it being loved because there were a lot of movies that people put out and I was just like, yeah, no, everybody hates that movie. Some are too easy. Yeah. I mean, we've done 125 episodes. People are like, are you ever going to run out of movies? I go, well, unless COVID lasts for the rest of lifetime and people are shut out of the theaters then that's a problem. Even then there's still thousands of films that certainly qualify and God damn, I'd sure love to do this for the rest of my life and nothing else is just talk about movies and get paid and never have to accept foot in corporate America again. Cause fuck that place. Someone is going to come out and say the new Batman sucked. Someone is going to come out and say Spider-Man Far From Home sucked. They're restocking the shelves slowly, but you're right. People jumped on early of the films that they knew were like, fuck this film. There are, there are a few, I mean, we call them bulletproof films, which I think we're never, ever going to face scrutiny on this podcast, but shit, they are. Die Hard has been attacked on this podcast. The Matrix has been attacked on this podcast. Coming up, we're taping next week. Get ready for this. Return of the Jedi, Borat, and fucking Back to the Future. Return of the Jedi, I'm right there. You'll find out. And please tell me if you do have a gripe against it. Please tell me it's more than the fucking Ewoks because that shit is so trite. So the other films that are still out there, and people go, well, give me some ideas. They go, well, if you legitimately hate these, we are interested. Godfather. Godfather 2 is actually done in this podcast. Casino, Goodfellas, Shawshank, L.A. Confidential. Another one we're doing in a few weeks. Beverly Hills Cop. Thought Whoa. that would never be touched. Yeah. Man. Yeah. In fact, I, I, sorry, let me look at my schedule and see what else is uh, popping up here. Borat, I thought, would never be touched, but not a Days of Future Past we're doing in a few weeks. The Professional. Mission Impossible. Oh, here you go. Batman 89. And believe it or not, we've also had the speed is another one that's going to be done. We've also had already all three Nolan films. I said the first one's great. I love Batman Begins. Actually, that's episode one of our podcast. Someone did Dark Knight Rises. You're like, all right, I, I see why. I said, Dark Knights ever get touched. Nope. As I alluded to before, because I thought you were that person because you look the same. My apologies yet again. Dark Knight fucking rises has been done. The bulletproof films are falling fast and furious. Don Jameson did Die Hard and Matrix out of the gate. Don, you may know from that metal show on VH1. He's a comic for years. He's an absolute fucking joy of a human being. You'll never hear me say anything bad about the man. He's like, yeah, I'm going to come right on and fucking shove it up your dick holes with Die Hard and Matrix. <laughs> he, just also did, he also just did Leaving Las Vegas. He goes, I don't hate it. Just way overrated. Way overrated. So I'm like, all right, cool. Let's party. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 and it's so much fun. It's so much fun. Just tell my wife, like, I'm sorry, I'm busy. I'm doing research, watching these films. Some of them are fucking slogs. I go, son of a bitch. I got to sit and watch Gone with the Wind for three and a half hours. 2001, A Space Odyssey. Lawrence of Arabia, we did. JL Carven, he did 2001 and Lawrence of Arabia. I'm like, JL, you've made us sit through six and a half hours of fucking movie. You know that, right? What I love about your show is the energy level that you just always come ready for bear and you just always bring it and your guests bring it and your co-host brings it. It's just really high energy, high impact. And you guys are fucking funny. Thank you. That's all. That's all we hope to set out to do is be fucking entertaining and anything but boring. And especially the funny part, because I, the last thing I want to do is blend into the, in the scenes with cheating movie podcasts out there. Like I said, there are a ton. We aren't them. And that's how we keep doing it is by writing jokes for these things, coming prepared with notes and opinions and high energy. 
when you're not podcasting and watching movies for the podcast, what are you doing? I have a day job. We both have day jobs. Kevin Israel just uh, popped the baby out of his wife's vagina two months ago, three months ago. So he's doing the dance of the dad with uh, little to no sleep. I've been there. I've got a six-year-old, six-and-a-half-year-old uh, first grader. So I've been there, done that. So uh, being a dad, doing the day job, Kevin's doing more comedy now. I'm Comedy's still there, for, not as near as much for me because I'm the one doing all the work for the podcast. I'm seeing way more results out of that in comedy because there is no syllabus in comedy at least in, in our success measure of success at least i can look at downloads and go fucking a right baby march has been a spectacular month february a little bit slower but march surpassed whatever expectations and then some working on that non-stop and i also love to bet on uh, the nfl i'm a very good nfl better i'll tap my pat myself on the back also besides getting this podcast to be you know top and getting even bigger name guests and even bigger name advertisers to be able to quit corporate America, do this, and also sell my TV show pitches, which I've been working on. I had actually one get on Amazon Prime for eight seasons called Comics Much and Comics. Would love to do that again on a much grander scale, bigger names, instead of me financing this fucking thing, having other people do it for me. So that's the uh, that's the goal for Kevin Go- goals for Kevin Goatee. When you're preparing to do an episode, how long does it take you to write up your kind of response to your guests? I already read all my notes out ahead of time. I'm sure you, you know, there's no way that someone can keep it that kind of frenetic clip with that many jokes in it off the cuff. If so, you're a fucking genius. And I want to meet you and pick your brain and know how to do it. It depends. So, I mean, there's obviously the stuff like the five fun facts, the, the, the box office numbers that takes five seconds to pull. No, no, the five fun facts a little bit longer, but the box office shit is easy to pull. Movie quotes. So whenever we watch the movie, that quotes that jump at us or quotes that we use in you know in everyday life, we always write those, do those stuff. The notes are it depends. Some films are so unremarkable. Like I have Jojo Rabbit. I think I had maybe maybe a page and a half of notes. That film was such a zero. I'm like I fucking hate it, and here's why. But it, other than that, it's just blah. And that's there's nothing more insulting, I think, to be just unremarkable. At least, at least if you're memorable, if you're good, if you're an asshole, but being unremarkable is the most, I think the most insulting thing you could say to somebody like, oh yeah, I don't remember them. That, that means you didn't want to give the, the bandwidth in your brain to try and remember this person. Same goes for films. Like, that film was so unremarkable. I had a page and a half of notes. Now for Jaws, I think I had for Delvin Cox three and a half because I'm pretty sure you can figure out which side of the aisle I'm on for that fucking argument. So I've watched 30 minutes of Back to the Future. I watched some of it on the plane home. I finished up watching something else. And I already have one page of notes. And I'm at the part in the movie where he's just about ready to go back in time. He's zipping around the parking lot, avoiding the Libyan terrorists. One page of notes. And that's probably about 30 minutes into the game, 20, 30 minutes into the game. So I think we know where we're going to go with this one. So it, it takes... It takes a bit that I type them all out because my writing is disgusting, illegible. Then I have to find the critics five star and one star reviews again, just calling through those, seeing which jump out again. The, the easiest ones are the douchey blowhard assholes who get all butthurt about nothing in both the critics to the Amazon. And of course, the uh, the people uh, we absolutely love reading the Amazon one star reviews because shit. Most of them think they're getting their money back because they put a comment in the one star review going this Back to the Future pooped out at me after, you know, 28 minutes. I want my money back. Or, wait a minute, it's a 40-hour 40 40 watch period. It took me I, – I, I, I couldn't get to it in time. It takes you fucking 40 hours to watch an hour and 45-minute film. That's on you, dickhead. But then you have the people who are writing these manifestos, literal manifestos, from a shed in Wyoming. And those people are our favorite. 
So finding those, that's the key is sifting through all of them, finding them. The crazier, the better. The ones who are gallus of their of such non sequiturs always jump out. And Kevin Israel's personal favorite ones are when the people complain how much they paid for a film. Where is the best place for people to find out more about the podcast, download it, and find out more about you? Guttingthesacredcow.com has everything you need to know. All the links to our different podcast platforms. Of course, we're on iTunes, Spotify, uh, Google Play, Spreaker, Stitcher, YouTube, and uh, those are the big ones. So all those links are right there. Now, if and when you uh, we sink our, 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 our fangs into you and start drawing your, your life force out, you like what you hear, do us a solid. Go on your podcast platform of choice, preferably iTunes, because that's where all the, you know, all of our 95% of our people listen and write a five star, give us a five star rating two or three sentence review. It sounds so dumb. It sounds so hacky, but God damn it. We are slaves to this algorithm. And until there's a better way, we have to play by their rules because that does help. And if I like what I see and Kevin likes what he see, we screenshot your reviews and we post them on our socials. We love doing that. Also, you can find us, like I said, on YouTube. Now we would absolutely love if you also subscribe to us on YouTube, you're going to say, why? If I listen to it, why do I need to see it? You're right. You don't. It's just going to help us out. So just subscribe, turn off the notifications for all I give a shit, but just subscribe. We need subscribers just to get us above that thousand threshold mark so we can start getting monetized. That's all I'm asking. If you really give a shit, go to patreon.com slash gutting the sacred cow. You can make a donation of whatever. But right now, the only thing we're offering is a $5 deal. And all that is, is Kevin Israel and I, we used to do our articles on gutting the sacred cow.com every, every week. And we're like, you know what, let's let's change it. So now we do a vlog where you're going to get more repartee, where it's about a 10 to 15 minute video every week. We do our that doesn't happen, which is our favorite topic. So just to, to clear listeners in, that doesn't happen is when you watch a film and they try it, the writers try and pass along something that a character is doing that's an, that would be an ordinary, ordinary everyday occurrence in this character's life. But in reality, like, no. And I'm not saying like, oh, the Matrix, that all doesn't happen. No, no shit. If it deals within the confines of the film it's presented, like the Matrix, if they explain everything back to the future of time travel, doesn't qualify. But shit, and Kevin does it, and we just did a couple, but Kevin's best one ever is this. How many times have you ever gotten into a strange car, pulled down the sun visor, and found the spare set of keys there? Fucking never. But you always see that in movies. That doesn't happen. Or the nerd getting the girl in every romantic comedy in every high school film. That doesn't fucking happen. So every week we're calling out that doesn't happen. We're doing movies that we saw. We're just giving a review, a little, little bit of a blurb. We also do some movie news, some trailer talks, movies that are coming out. And, of course, our second favorite, I would say, are movie quotes because I'm a huge quote guy. And I start off every episode with a quote, and I would say 45% of the time, Kevin Israel doesn't get it and always gets frustrated that he doesn't get it. And the fans give me shit for it, and he gets angry, but it makes gives me great joy to watch him with consternation on his face. And of course, all the socials, gutting the sacred cow, Facebook, Instagram, fucking TikTok, ugh. And of course, Twitter, which is our, our home base, I would say, uh, is at GTSC podcast, gutting the sacred cow podcast. So that's where you can find us, KevinGoT.com, K-E-V-I-N-G-O-O-T-E-E. You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter. You know, every NFL Sunday, I give out my bets, 56% against the spread last next year. Thank you very much. And while I do that, I have my daughter, who's the cutest fucking thing on this planet, eating 
chocolate or cookies or whatever dessert she chooses. So you get to watch my daughter eat dessert while I give my picks out that uh, are that are making people money. So that's uh, an NFL Sunday. Whenever I start doing more dates, look at that. And just general Tom Fullerine shenanigans on Kevin Goatee, K-E-V-I-N-G-O-O-T-E-E on all the, uh, on the uses. Kevin Goatee, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. And I hope people check out Gutting the Sacred Cow. And I hope this maybe gets you a couple more listeners. I hope so too. And if, and I implore them, why not start with your episode where you took on boondock saints? Cause like I said, I mean, I'm a, I'm a guy of a 45 years of age shows. Israel were the same ages. I mean, that shit came out right after college. And we know damn good and well that right after that came out, that was one of the easiest movie posters you would find on dudes, dorm room walls. And I promise you it is not of the same level of quality that you remember it back in 1999, 2000, when it came out versus 2021, you're going to have a very different look on it. You know what? Sometimes kids, you're going to learn the hard way that there is no Santa Claus. And that's what this podcast does. It happened to us, happened to us several times, especially with Batman Returns. That was our first one. We found out Batman Returns, not as good as we thought it was like, oh shit, Batman Returns kind of sucks. Yeah. If they don't want to listen to Boondock Saints, they can listen to um, the Dark Knight podcast since apparently my <laughs> doppelganger's on there. And have your uh, your doppelganger take on the Dark Knight. We are back and we are in the midst of Ego Fest 12. Since I mentioned the editing tutorials that you broadcast for a while there, what are your main tools for podcasting software and or hardware? So like, you know, do you have a specific mic or any fancy gadgets for the recording part? And then you know, the things that you use for editing and putting the episode together. Folks may have noticed over the last, how long has it been? Six, eight months, maybe a year. No, it can't be a year. It has to have been probably six months that I might, might sound a little bit better. And that's because I'm using a new microphone. I started a new job last April, April 5th. So right after my birthday. And I hired this guy, I think his He started in June and he found out that I podcasted. And so he was like, Oh, I have a really nice microphone. And I'm like, okay, so what? And he's like, basically (laughs) he bought this mic for a girl that he was going out with. And she ended up breaking up with him before he could give it to her. And so he had been stuck with this microphone, this sure S H U R E microphone for a long time. So he finally remembered to bring it in. I finally paid him, which he didn't want money. And I'm just like, you're crazy. And then I was like, okay, well, now I got a microphone, but then how the hell do I use this? <laughs> <laughs> so, so luckily Chris Stashew told me about a really cheap board. So I'm pointing at it so people can see that I'm pointing <laughs> at it here as they're listening to this. It looks like it's a pile, P Y L E, like Gomer pile. Four channel something or other mixer, studio mixer. The most expensive part of this whole thing, well, the mic was a little expensive, but the most expensive was this Frameworks 
arm that comes with an XLR cable that comes out of both ends. And so I've got the microphone, I've got this arm, I've got the board, and then there's just a USB output that goes to my computer. So I've got the computer that I record into. I record into Audacity, which is free software that anybody can get, though a lot of people now are just like, Audacity, blah, 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 it's Chinese spyware. And I'm like, I don't think so, but that's okay. Chinese can spy on me as much as they want. Maybe if they want to, you know, talk a little Chinese, I'd be more than happy to. I haven't spoken in Chinese in a while. So I record in Audacity. I edit in Audacity as much as I possibly can. I do, yeah, pretty much everything in Audacity. And then I take it at the very end. So I edit up big chunks. I put in all my sound clips and stuff during that part. I edit them into large chunks. I've got the interview as a chunk or interviews as chunks. That's the technical term. It's chunk. Chunk. Got it. I am writing this down. (laughs) I chunk it all up and then I go into a program called Sony Vegas, which came free with, well, I had to pay for it eventually, but it came free with a previous laptop that I had long time ago. And now I actually pay for the software. I use that too. Now you take your chunks and then what I do is I stitch those chunks together. That's also a technical term. Stitch and chunks. Yeah. So I basically it's, it's an offline editor. So you just line up your audio tracks or you crossfade them if you need to. And you put all those chunks in together, your little promos, all that kind of stuff. And that's what I use. Then I save it out as W64 file, which is a Sony proprietary file because it's Sony Vegas. Sony owns the software. So if anything was going to be spyware, it'd probably be that, probably be Japanese spyware. Anyway, that comes out as a W64 file. Luckily, Conversation Levelator or whatever that program is called, that handles W64 files. I throw it into that to level everything. And then I take those leveled files, open Audacity, I truncate the silence. So that's why we don't have any long pauses, which also might give the show a little bit of a weird sound to it as well. I try not to truncate too much. So it sounds like we are actually people speaking. And then I export that out as an MP3. And then that's the final product. So and then there's like the icons and posters and wide versions that you see in Facebook and on Instagram, that's all edited with Adobe Photoshop, just because I'm used to Photoshop. And that's it. So those are all the programs I use for this thing. And it's just that easy, folks. Just that easy. (laughs) Stitch and Chunks. That should have been the name of your podcast. I'm going to throw in another one of my questions here because this is a simple one and it's not really tech related. But what are, I've been trying to figure out all of the clips that you're using in your new intro. And I, I figured out a couple of them, but I think they're still, and you don't have to say if you'd rather keep it kind of mysterious for people. I know that you've got Blazing Saddles. And I didn't know that until I watched it recently. And I was like, oh. And I know you have Hardcore in there. George C. Scott's screaming his head off. And I want to say it's either Hulk Hogan from Gremlins 2 or it's that wrestler guy that... No, it's Hulk Hogan from Gremlins 2. He is a wrestler guy, but that one, that local boy that that we discussed in the past. And I was like, I think this is Gremlins 2. Oh, Dick the Bruiser? I thought maybe you were using a Dick the Bruiser clip, but 
I think there's a couple other ones in there that I haven't parsed out yet. There's a clip from Rick and Morty where he says, let's all pretend okay. that podcasts are interesting. And I think you hit them all. I thought that was all of them in there. I should have made a list of what I didn't know and what I did, I guess. Maybe that was the only one. Yeah, that was one where Rick and Morty are having an adventure and a sister comes with them and she wants to listen to a podcast as they're on their way to whatever planet they're going to. And when he said, let's all pretend that podcasts are interesting, I'm like, <laughs> okay, because you notice almost every single one of those clips is very self-deprecating. Yeah. Yeah. So hold on to your ear, folks, you know, like cover mm -hmm. your ears, Jersey Scott saying, turn it off. <laughs> Morty saying, you know, let's pretend that they're interesting. The only one that's not really too deprecating is Hulk Hogan, not wanting gremlins right. in the projection booth. I was trying to find a good, cause like Catherine Mary Stewart's life is saved by a projection booth in Night of the Comet, but I don't think that there's any real good quotes about a projection booth in there. And then I, cause I've only watched it the one time. I kind of refuse to watch it a second time. I don't think that there's any good quotes about a projection booth from Inglorious Bastards either. I just watched it the other day, actually. I think it's mostly technical jargon. They're describing. They talk about the nitrate film, and then as far as the projection, she's kind of explaining, or Marcel is explaining to her how the reels are set up, and then she just mentions when she's inserting her bit into the film, it's going to go on the third reel after such and such. But I don't think there's much. What's his name? I think asks her, you know, the bad, the bad, the big baddie in that movie, the Christopher right. Waltz character. He asks her. If she can run the projection booth, because of course her projectionist is is African. I almost said African American, which is not correct. African French, I guess, in that one. And how that probably wouldn't fly with with the uh, <laughs> the SS guys in the Tarantino verse. He's probably Marcellus Wallace's great great grandfather. His name is Marcel, so there, there, there you go. go. Or he's Jules's <laughs> great great grandfather. <laughs> Because they all have to be related, you know. I had never even thought about that before, but that absolutely makes sense with the names. If I ever found a uh, an English dubbed version of Cinema Paradiso, there's a good line about, you know, loving something as much as you loved being in the projection booth as a little kid. So, because that pops up a lot of times on Twitter. If I search for a projection booth, that quote will always show up. And there was something in that movie... Although, again, it wouldn't have been in English. In Crumbs, I think about the projection booth. Maybe not. I know he goes up there because that old guy recognizes him, but I don't know if they actually talk about the projection booth itself. I have to watch that again now that I thought about it. Good one to rewatch. Darren Williams asks, are there any films you would feel too uncomfortable to cover? So I almost asked Darren for a follow-up on this because I'm like uncomfortable. Uncomfortable is an interesting word. Why would I be uncomfortable to cover a movie? And I just kept thinking about this question. And I'm like, is this like, you know, the anal birth of Bert or something that I would be uncomfortable talking about? Or what's that really super hot movie? I always masturbate to it. The Serbian film, you know, like that. Or why would I be uncomfortable by something? If I were to ask you this question, Mark, what would you say? What would you feel too uncomfortable to cover? See, I, I took it as as probably something like Sallow or 
which we've covered. And I kind of chuckled to myself because you're right in the middle of, I'm not sure what term you're using for March, but you're talking about adult films right now during March. So that can't be too uncomfortable. I'm editing an episode right now where there's three fisting <laughs> scenes. So <laughs> I'm trying to think of a film that has actually made me martyrs. The guy that made that made another film called goes under different titles, but I think I watched it under the title Ghostland, and it has has a trans character in it, and I which I think and I don't you know it made me uncomfortable the way that the character was presented in the film. I probably would be uncomfortable talking. I didn't didn't care for the film. I think that guy's like two out of two strikes out of three for me on films of his that I've watched. If I were to cover a movie with a trans character that was possibly controversial, fortunately I've got a few trans friends where I could ask them to be on. Having that would probably help. And if anything, you want to unpack a movie, unpack a movie where something like that is there, but really unpacking movies. Why would I feel uncomfortable? Like, that's a lot of fun, actually. Like, what is it about this movie that is bothering me so much? Right. Yeah, no, I, and that can all, that can be a very interesting conversation. I can't really think of anything I would... It would have to be presented to me, and I could probably go, oh, no, I'm way too uncomfortable talking about that film. I probably wouldn't. Although I've been listening listening to the episodes from this month, and they've been very interesting as someone who doesn't have a a very in-depth history with older adult films and looking at them from a a cinematic view as opposed to just going and renting them, you know, in your teens or something to, to get off on. I'd be curious if someone were to ask me to cover an adult film, if I would be uncomfortable. And that's me, though. I have a little bit of a Puritan bent sometimes about certain things, so... There are certain genres or countries from whose film catalogs I know nothing about, but I would never just jump into a conversation like that. I would try to read as much as I possibly could. So like when we covered Brazilian films, the whole Cinema Novo thing a few months, well, a few months, a few years ago now, obviously I knew nothing about Brazilian history and that was a very educational research project doing that and looking at what was Brazil like in the 60s and what was Brazil like before the 60s so that there were a lot of echoes from history. So finding out about different regions of Brazil, about different strata of more the economical strata that was happening there, the way that the natives were treated versus the former slaves that were brought over when slavery ended. I mean, that they're making references to like 1868 at one point. I was just like, okay, well, what is that? Oh, well, that was the year that slavery was finally outlawed. So it's like, okay, so obviously I probably got a lot of stuff wrong and I probably get a lot of stuff wrong all the time, but I want to be as prepared as I possibly can to be able to speak about something so that I don't feel uncomfortable. I try to remove that uncomfortability so that I could talk about, 
don't know, film from Ukraine or Romania or Hungary, just some of these places where I've never been and I don't know the politics. I mean, in two months, we're going to have a whole discussion about Soviet cinema. And a lot of those filmmakers, I've never dealt with their films before. So I'm going to have to read up a lot about them before I can speak about it. Otherwise, I will feel uncomfortable. But there's a lot of movies where you want to unpack them. A movie like Judsus would be really, it's going to be awful to talk about that. You know, we don't have any plans to talk about Judsus or any of the Riefenstahl films or any of those propaganda films. Those would be difficult to talk about, but you want to take the teeth out of them. And you want to say, like, this is an awful thing. This was made. This is propaganda. Just like going back to those god-awful movie guys, just like how these Christian films are being made now, and they are propaganda, you know, where there's like a whole thing of Mormon movies, and they are propaganda. So it's just like, there's a lot of stuff where it's like, okay, let's let's look at this and let's disarm this movie. Let's not feel uncomfortable talking about this, and let's actually talk about things in real terms, like talking about adult films in more cinematic terms. Let's talk about the actual plot structure. Some films, when you talk about adult movies, you don't think about the plot. So it's like, okay, well, let's talk about that and see, should there have been more? Should there have been less? You know, what works and what doesn't? The Art House Drive-In Picture Show asks, question, exclamation point. Do you give co-hosts your research when prepping an episode? Or do they just do their own research? Or is it more of a combo or case-by-case situation? Sorry, that's three questions. So, Mark, why don't you take this one? Do I ever share my research? I read... (laughs) He's going to give it to me now, folks. (laughs) I read a fucking 800-page book for an episode of the Projection Booth podcast. So, yes, Mike does share his research. He says with venom dripping off of his words. I'll never tire of that. That's my. That's going to be my anecdote for the Projection Booth until I croak. I read an 800-page book for that man. Old Man Yells at Book. That was a very interesting book. So, By the time this comes out, I'll have done an episode about New Wave Hookers. There's not a lot of scholarly information written about New Wave Hookers, which is a shame. There is Sometimes there's just not enough stuff written about movies. But then in April, we're going to be covering screwball comedies. Have there been books written specifically about screwball comedies? Yes. Are there books written about a lot of the directors of some of these comedies? Yes. Are there articles? Yes. All of this stuff. So I will go through, and I don't know if you had this when you were in college, Mark. We're about the same age. Did you have course packs when you were in college? So I basically will create, and for folks that are younger, and I don't, Imagine they went, they did away with this practice because it was highly illegal. Um, (laughs) (laughs) laws were violated like crazy. So when you were in college, at least in the early nineties, late eighties, your professors would go through and grab a whole bunch of articles from magazines, books, all this kind of stuff, photocopy all of those things and then bind them. And then you would go to your local 
bookseller or like specialty bookseller at your on your college campus and buy a course pack. And that was a photocopied, usually photocopy of a photocopied bound thing of all of these articles. And then it'd be like, okay, for this week, we're going to be talking about, I don't know, full metal jacket. So read this article by Susan White. And there it is in your course pack. So I create course packs a lot of times for my co-hosts. And I will even, if it's summertime and I get home from work, I'll have those things printed out a lot of times. And I'll go sit out on the back porch and just read article after article after article of something that I'm talking about. And all of that stuff is shared with my co-hosts. So, you know, you sign on to do an episode about... I don't know. Let, let's stick with movies that we've talked about. You, you sign on to do an episode about Popeye. So you're going to go through, you're going to get a big PDF that's in the Dropbox that I will share with you. And it's going to have, you know, articles from American cinematographer. You're going to have chapters from books about Robert Altman. You'll have interviews with, uh, I don't know, Shelley Duvall. You'll have like older stuff, newer stuff. You'll have stuff about the actual like Popeye King syndicate comics and all this stuff. It could be as little as two or three little articles. It could be as much as 800 pages. And I'm talking like actual course packs that are 800 or a thousand pages all about the movie that we're going to be talking about. Does everybody choose to read that stuff? Not necessarily, which kind of makes me <laughs> mad sometimes because I took all the effort to put that together. But it's out there and it's available and you can do your own research. And in fact, I've been a little put out sometimes when it's like, I'll be on the phone with, uh, or, you know, on zoom with other co-hosts and they'll be like, well, I read this fascinating article and this, this, and this. And I'm like, dude, you could have shared that with me. I would have loved to have read that because <laughs> I want to read as much as I possibly can. And I don't want to be the quote unquote smartest guy in the room. Cause I'm not, I'm never am the reason why I, I love when people do their own research or I love to get people that have their own experiences with things and then come on and talk about that stuff. So it's just like, yeah, but yeah, I, I love putting together research. I love sharing it and do with it what you will ignore it, read it all, read an 800 page book about the brood. <laughs> <laughs> you know? whatever you want to do is fine by me. But you know, I figure the more we know coming in the conversation, the more well-informed we sound on the other end of that i can i can say yes it's shared and it can be like you mentioned anything from i'm trying to think of one that that had a lot of stuff there was well you know and also if you have mike on your show he'll supply a lot of research because you did that with the evil dead and i didn't have anything and i think even some stuff with Looking for Mr. Goodbar and maybe one of the other movies possibly that was related to that. Something so that's always nice. And that and that comes from you having done some research on that for your cruising episode. And so that's always nice. Yeah, there was something on Netflix. There was a behind the good bar killings, but then I thought that there was also like a made for TV movie with maybe and he just, he passed away, I think, like right before that or right after it. Uh, George Siegel? Yeah, George Siegel was in it. And it was, it was kind of the aftermath, like track down, yes. finding the good bar killer. <laughs> it was a TV movie, but it was pretty interesting. I think, I don't know if 
if you or Sam watched that, but I did. I am still in, you, you mentioned college, and I was one of those guys that when getting the course pack or when getting the books, you know, we we had to buy books to hundreds of dollars worth of books for every fucking class. And so I always did all the work because you never know what's going to be on the test. And so I sort of approach <laughs> being on the projection booth the same way. Oh, I better read all of these things so I don't sound like an idiot when I'm on the show, which I don't know that it helps all that much in that case. <laughs> I don't want to sound like the IMDb trivia section and I don't want people to like get their information from the IMDb trivia section, but sometimes there's just no information out there. So when we covered that Turkish horror film, the antenna, that's one where what you had 20 pages worth of stuff to read. I don't even know if it was 20 pages. Then that was it. That's all we had. Meanwhile, black Christmas, we had that new black Christmas book to read. We had, you know, the Black Christmas novelization, you actually read that. I, I mean, did there, read that. <laughs> there was a lot of stuff to, you know, Black Christmas was one of those. Plus, there were the two, well, let's say one and a half sequels or remakes of remakes, it. Remakes, yeah. Because you can't really count that third one as a remake of it. Each one of these movies, too. Like, when we talked about, we talked about Sabata. So, you ended up having to watch six, seven movies for Sabata. And all that stuff is shared. And that was one of the ones that had a lot of stuff, I think, with... Because you included the soundtrack, which was helpful because the liner notes for that actually gave some insight to things that I don't I don't necessarily tune into scores like a lot of people like I don't recognize, you know, speaking of of Inglorious Bastards, like all those music cues. I don't know where they're from. I, they might sound a little bit familiar. There was a show on Amazon Prime called Homecoming. Julia Roberts was in the first season and we watched, I don't know how many episodes. And I finally realized, Oh, they're using horror movie scores in this. There's like the thing there was Halloween three and all these. I'm like, Oh, what? You know, I finally clued in and figured it out after watching, I don't know how many episodes. So that kind of stuff eludes me. And that, and that was interesting. I don't know that we talked about the scores all that much on the episode because you're never going to talk about everything that you read or research that just you'd have eight hour episodes minus interviews or any of the extra stuff. You would have people just talking for eight hours if if we were all to get everything out that we wanted to say. But it's nice to be able to leave the experience with, with some things I wouldn't have thought about before. I'm always of the opinion that if we read all this stuff, watch all this stuff, know all this stuff going into the conversation, that the conversation is going to be better than if it was just three folks walking in cold, having just seen the movie. Which sometimes is the only thing you can do if there's not, you know, if there isn't like, uh, you know, take the, the Bigly on Bigly month over at the Culture Cast, not a whole citizen's band, really. It was pretty much just watch. You sent over the script and I, and I, it was an easy breezy read, but it was the final shooting script and there was very little. It was like reading the movie, having them, you know, I could have had played the movie and read the thing. A couple of scenes were left out or cut out or not shot. I don't know. But so sometimes you have that experience where, oh, this is just exactly the same thing. That novelization of Black Christmas was exactly the movie with a little bit more of inside Billy's head. And that was, it. But 
you know, it, it's not. Some people probably don't have as much free time as I do to do <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah, I can think of people who have a lot more. I don't like to throw, like, I'm not going to get, you have so much going on. I'm not going to send over all that kind of research to you. I'd have to find it first. And that's where you always come in. Yeah, that's the toughest part these days is finding, you know, and that was, thank goodness for those professors who would have all that stuff at the ready. And it's just like, oh, yeah, this is great. But yeah, I mean, you know, you can see my bookshelves. I've got certain books where it's just like, okay, if I'm going to do a movie about Hitchcock, I've got a whole shelf of Hitchcock stuff. So I can go through and find all that stuff. But then there are other filmmakers where you're just like, where am I going to find that? There's one book about Hong Kong horror movies. You know, there's not that much to talk about. Like, you know, I'm talking with Chris in two weeks about Ringo Lamb's Full Contact. Yeah, there's some stuff about Hong Kong action films, but... It's not, it's talking about how cool Hong Kong action films are. They aren't taking apart like the gender politics and all this kind of stuff. It's like a lot of times it's very tough to find the material about these things. Has anybody even written about some of this stuff? Maybe, maybe not. You know, finding articles out online and you're just like, does this person even know what they're talking about? Or are they just regurgitating things that they found? That just makes me think of that whole Bob Clark story about him talking to John Carpenter about what he would do with Black Christmas, which I thought was was made up because I could never find any citation for it. And because nobody nobody mentioned, oh, it's on this interview on the Black Christmas DVD and or Blu-ray. So, yes, yeah, sometimes that would have been helpful in some of those articles. But I guess websites don't have to do that. I mean, I kind of experienced that myself firsthand from 1995 when I was being interviewed about the whole, who do you think you're fooling in Tarantino thing? I just found that journalists would quote other journalists sometimes without giving any sort of proper credit, which was weird. And they would just repeat the same thing. And it's that whole, you know, if you repeat it long enough, it becomes factual. And it's just like, no, you should really actually look into every single time you say this stuff, you should probably look at what the source was. That's where it's very important to go back to these interviews and not just, well, I heard that Elliot Gould didn't like this person. It's like, well, where did you hear that? Where, what did you read that someplace? You know, how about you have a source for something or let's go straight to the horse's mouth and ask Elliot what he thought about this. So. Yeah, it's like, let's let's actually do a little bit of digging here, folks, and do our due diligence. I hope one of the things that I've managed to do with the projection booth is put down some of these weird, persistent rumors that are out there that really just don't hold any water at the end of the day. All right, let's go ahead and take another break, and we're going to hear from Dan Gardner, the CEO and developer of the Run P app. So, Dan Gardner, you are the creator of the Run P app, which... I don't normally talk to tech folks on this show other than maybe like occasionally cinematographers, gaffers, those types of folks, but a person that makes an app, I've never done that before. So tell me a little bit about the Run P app and tell me a little bit about you. The Run P app is very simple. It tells you the best time to run and pee during a movie so you don't miss the best scenes. And I had the idea for this. So I'm an app developer. So is my wife. I had this idea after watching the remake of King Kong back in 2005, which was like, I think a little bit more than three hours long. So, you know, during the movie, you know, I get to the end of it and I'm like religious about like, 
I love movies. I am not going to get up and go to the restroom. By the end of the movie, I was in absolute agony. I mean, you can imagine, like we've all been there for like a three hour movie. And I was like, oh, I can make it. You know, the, the end of the movie was ruined. You know, that's all I could think was just, you know, his, remember his heartbeat is like, boom, 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 boom. I'm like, die, <laughs> just die. I've got to go. So the movie's over and it's opening night and I go out, we're leaving the theater and there's all these people queued up to see the next showing. And I want to tell them, hey, there's this scene in the middle of the movie that's got these giant gross bugs. It doesn't really fit with the rest of the movie. It's not important. You know, a couple of minor characters die, whatever. You could run to the restroom and come back and enjoy the rest of the movie in comfort. But of course, you know, I'm not going to like tell strangers when they should go to the restroom. And besides that, I needed to go myself. So um, that was that. I, I had the idea and kind of tabled it. I kicked it around a little bit here and there and was busy working at Microsoft. And so that kind of kept me on my toes. About three years later, 2008, I'm leaving Microsoft to be a freelancer. And I'm thinking, you know, I need to have something in my portfolio. Huh? Well, you know, maybe I'll build this run P thing. Nobody's going to use it. Like it's, it's going to get like the odd bird is going to, you know, find this website. It was a website back then and use it, but you know, it'll be a good experience. And so I'm going to go ahead and build it. And so I built it out. I showed it to a bunch of friends at a conference and everybody just got a kick out of it. Thought it was the coolest thing. And of course, like 10 people used it. And then the following spring, uh, 2009, Star Trek, the new Star Trek came out. I started seeing movies a little bit more regularly and adding data to it. And it exploded. I was literally waking up at like 3 a.m. to do it, to do interviews in South America. It was crazy. I was on NPR. It, it went viral. And, uh, you know, I found some people at the time I couldn't make a mobile app. And so I found some people to partner with and we made a mobile app for the iPhone and it just kind of evolved from there. So now I'm the, the mobile developer and my wife and I rebuilt it and we maintain it. Now, is it all crowdsourced or is it you personally going out and entering in all of these times and lines? I mean, the thing that I like is that you have on there after this line, there's a good size break or a short break and just kind of tells you when you should go. And it's, it's vague enough that it doesn't give away any part of the plot. So I wish it was crowdsourced. You've used the app. And so you know that like when we say a P time starts at 45 minutes and 30 seconds, it's 45 minutes and 30 seconds, give or take five seconds. You know, we have to sit there with a timer and, you know, we're on the ball, we're, we're writing down notes it turns out it isn't something you can just kind of like off the top of your head. Oh, you know, I think it's about 50 minutes into the movie, maybe. And I think he, somebody said this. It was originally a Wikipedia, air quotes around Pedia. The only thing that we got from users was this movie sucked. You could just go pee anytime. It's like, well, okay, cute for you, but not really useful for everybody else who might actually enjoy it. It just had to become something that we have to do the grunt work and go watch. In a non-pandemic year, we see about 150, 160 movies. It's largely been me, my mother, my wife, my sister, and a few friends. We've got a guy in the UK, uh, Rob Williams, who helps us out, and a, a couple other people that that see spot movies here and there. But yeah, it's it's mostly me, my mother, sister, and wife. 
Now, I use the app almost every single time a movie is over, the credits start to roll, and I immediately pull out the app and I go, okay, is there anything else at the end of this? Because by that time, kind of to your point about King Kong, I don't want to run out. Uh, I'll suffer if there's more stuff to watch, especially when it comes, you know, the Marvel movies. And I do like that. I, I can't remember which Marvel film it was where you're just like, well, this is a Marvel movie. So of course there's stuff after the end credits, but then there are other times where it's like, is it worth it for me to stick around? You know, like Cloverfield. Okay. Yeah. You hear somebody say something at the end. I can't even remember what it was, but it's like, all right. Yeah. It's not really worth it for me to stick around. And I like too, that you've got the times for the credits, which is also very helpful because then I could run out, take care of business and come back in and catch those last few seconds if I needed to. So that's why I would say the run P app is for every movie lover because we have the anything extra and there's a couple of websites, a couple of, there's another app out there that's crowdsourced that has it. But what we do is, you know, we have how long the credits are. We tell you if there's anything extra and, you know, if it's like a Marvel movie, then it might be like, Hey, there's about two and a half minutes of post credit and then an extra scene. And then we go to rolling credits for seven or eight minutes. And then there's another extra scene. Uh, so we let you know, hey, there's two, not just one. Because, you know, there's that odd person that, that stands up and walks out after the first one. It's like, hey, d -d 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 wait, sit back down. We're not done yet. A funny story. I actually saw Wonder Woman in Beijing, China. And everybody, it's the first Wonder Woman. Everybody stayed in this, their seats. You know, okay, what's the extra? What's the extra? And we get to the end of the movie and it's just like, done. And there was like an audible like, oh, come on. Like DC, you know, throw us a bone here. Like copy the MCU a little bit. We try not to give spoilers for what's extra. So, you know, we, we usually say like, hey, there's an extra scene that uh, is pivotal to maybe an upcoming movie or something like that. We don't tell you what it is. But then there's like the Cloverfield thing. It's like, okay, look, at the very end, so-and-so says something. That's it. It's not worth sticking around for you're caught up. We try to judge. We don't want to spoil it for anybody if it's something juicy. You know, the hardest thing has been figuring out what counts as anything extra. If you're a big comic fan or a fan of a, a book or something, and we watch the movie and it's like, oh, well, you know, at the very, very end, there's one line that you don't even see anything. You just, you hear a noise and like, okay, whatever. And then somebody emails and is like, oh my God, well, if you'd read the comic, you'd realize that that means that Dr. Doom is going to, you know, it's like, okay. So now anything, if they say dedicated to, well, we don't do that, but, you know, practically anything counts as an extra, but then we do try to follow it up with a little bit of context. Right, right. Like the anvil noise at the end of Endgame, which is Iron Man making his suit from the first one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a nice bookend, yeah. but yeah, you could stand up and leave and not really be disappointed yeah, right exactly good example tell me if i'm crazy or not i thought i remembered because i've never used this feature and it might not even exist can you say i'm about to start watching this movie and will it buzz to tell you now's a good time to go pee you don't use a timer no yeah, that that's like the juiciest part of the app yeah so it's actually so i guess what you do and i was actually going to ask you I suppose you go into the theater, you, you, you bring up the, you select your movie, you go to the P time screen and you kind of scroll through and go like, 
I usually need to go at about the hour mark. So like, hey, here's a pee time. It's recommended. Thumbs up there because we have recommended and emergency pee times because sometimes we have a pee time and we admit that it's not good. But if it's towards the end of a movie, it's like, look, this is it. Yeah, that's that's a, a totally legit way to use it. You can just read the line, the SUV drives off the bridge. So we do try to stay as non-spoilery as possible with our cues. We actually had a problem once where the cue was somebody that seemingly died earlier in the movie, but they didn't die and they came back. And we're like, well, wait a second. We can't say when Jack says such and such because anybody who's astute and reads would be like, wait a second, Jack's dead. So yeah, we have to be work around that every now and then. And, and sometimes users catch us like, you know, that's actually a spoiler. If you pay really close attention, like, ah, you're right. So, you know, we go in, we make it super easy for people to contact us, uh, like right there on the P time synopsis. So I guess we didn't cover that, but if you do go to the restroom, you can select that P time and read a brief synopsis of what you are missing, which is full of spoilers because it's what's happening while you're doing your business. And, and there's a little form. If you want to, you can write there to say like, you missed this or this character is, is the wrong name or something like that. Uh, so we try to keep our, keep covered and get the feedback from our users. But yeah, the timer is right there at the top of the, the P time screen. And it'll say like, you know, when the Sony logo zooms through or the 20th century Fox theme ends, you start the timer, put the phone away and you get a little notification before each P time, about 30 seconds before each P time. So you can, you know, judge like, now or and during the movie you can just glance you know that the app is all black it's as dark as we could make it you know if you do need to use the restroom you can just kind of peek at your phone you don't have to interrupt anybody and say like oh hey there's eight minutes until the next pee time okay uh this is the queue okay good um and you can just wait for that to come up so now there's multiple ways to to use the app but the, the timer is what uh most people use it, which is funny because that's usually how I sell the app when I'm telling people about it. It's like, oh, yeah, I can turn it on and then it'll buzz and it'll tell you when you can go. And it's like, but I've never used that. I, I do what you say. I look through it. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. When uh, Scarlet Witch says this, then I can go. So, all right, good. How early do you see these movies and how quickly do you update the database? Because it feels like, you know, if I go see the Batman opening weekend, you've already got the P times in there. We were really disappointed for the Batman. I didn't get to get P times for it until it came out in the USA. We try really, really hard, especially for blockbuster movies of that, that magnitude to get P times earlier. So we've got Rob in the UK who can go see it there on opening day, which is, you know, give or take six hours before us. So you can go see it, get back at the P times and at least Americans, you know, we're the ones who matter, right? <laughs> well, this is about, I think 80% of the market is the USA and then 5% Canada, 5% Australia, 5% uh, UK, and then 5% everybody else uh, divides it up. Yeah. So for that one, we were really disappointed that we, especially, we don't want fans who love to go see the opening show to be going out with a bunch of friends and like, oh my God, I got to tell you about this app. And then they show them, it's like, oh, well, huh. Well, they don't have P times because they're actually seeing the movie at the same time as we are. So I have resorted to BitTorrent and download the cam copies. So a lot of times the movies come out 
a week or so early internationally. This is the worst part of this job because they're crap. It ruins the movie experience for me, but I'll sit through it. I'll watch. I'll get the P times. Like I, I have to be able to do this for Spider-Man. And then I usually don't watch like the last half hour. Like I, I get where I'm comfortable. This is going to be the last P time. And, you know, usually about 30 minutes from the end of the movie, we can close the book and just enjoy the rest. And so I, I didn't see how it ended until I got to the theater. But yeah, I've resorted to that a couple of times. Hopefully Rob is able to, you know, help us out on the odd movie and, and do it that way. Tell me a little bit more, you know, I've been a fan of the app forever and you actually made a special offer for listeners of the podcast. If you download and install the app and before you sign up, there's a Pcoin coupon code. <laughs> Say that fast. <laughs> uh, P Pcoin coupon code. Just enter projection booth. So you you start the app, you get it going, uh, go to the menu at the top right, and there's a place there that says, you know, Pcoin coupon code, and just type in projection booth. And then once you do register your email address, then you'll get an extra five Pcoins which a Pcoin is our in-app currency. And so you don't want an app like the RunP app to throw ads at you during a movie. That would be bad. So we've got this, you can watch adverts in the app if you want to earn Pcoins that way, or you can, you get free ones for certain things. When you register, you get two free. Uh, you get them if you've got this uh, coupon code. Each Pcoin gives you the P times for all of a movie. So, you know, like Batman had four P times and you can go back and you can go back into the Batman as many times you want. Once you spend, once it's in your library, it stays there. Basically, we do have a subscription offer and you can subscribe for a dollar a month and you get access to everything, you know, as much as you want and the timer. And we just implemented this because we're poor. You know, everybody in the movie, movie industry suffered through the pandemic. I have to say we're very, very fortunate that we didn't have to lay anybody off because we don't have employees. Our overhead is fairly minimal. It's I actually did the math on all this and posted a blog post about complete transparency. Two months ago, we made $177 in profit. And it's nearly a full-time job for me. And so, you know, we offer the subscription. And if you want to use the timer, you have to be subscribed. But if you're a new user, you get to use it five times to test drive it. Like we want to really let you, we're, we're not trying to be greedy or anything. Like if you, you want to use a timer, you get it five times. Hopefully you can get a feel for you want to do it that way. Or, or you can just do it the way that you do it and just scroll through and remember them. Uh, and you can use it for free just by viewing advertisements. So that's why you're sitting behind this solid gold desk is all that money you're just raking in from the app. We did make pretty good money from about 2012, 2020, before the pandemic. I think in 2019, we averaged about $4,500 a month. Well, income. Now, the overhead ate into that quite a bit, but you know, it was enough. You know, I'm not rich, but uh, it was enough. And now I had to go back to um, working for freelance and doing software development, building apps for people. In my blog post, I said like, you know, I'm going to give it the rest of the year. I've got some other projects that I'm working on, but I can't work full time as a developer and maintain the Run P app to the level that I really want to. You know, it needs at least 20 hours a week of, of work. 
So, you know, I'm going to give it full-time effort for the rest of the year. And, you know, we'll kind of decide and see where we are. Do I need to take on a full-time job or not? But at the very minimum, you know, we're going to add like two-ish, at least two movies a week going forward. Right now, we add every wide release movie. But basically, if it's at our AMC theater, we go see it. And we actually have a, uh, a partnership with the AMC. Oh, good. I'm, I was afraid that you'd have to spend money to see all of these movies. I do. The partnership doesn't doesn't really help that much there. I, I, I'm a Stubbs member, like $20 a month. They give me movies for free, but I have to show up at the theater to get the tickets, which doesn't help on opening night for a popular movie. So, you know, just get Stubbs. I can get tickets well in advance and not have the headache of because we have to sit in the back corner of the theater. You know, we're, we've got our phone. We're taking notes. You know, we don't want to disturb people. And so if we end up with not being able to get that back corner seat, it's, it's very awkward for us, you know, and we don't want to bother other people. So, and you can't really judge with your pocketbook. You have to see a lot of really crappy movies as well. We do draw the line. Like we don't do documentaries every now and then there'll be a movie that's like, there's a movie coming out this week. Amma. It's got um, uh, the girl from killing Eve. And it's 83 minutes long. And so we're probably going to, well, it's actually not even showing in our theater either, but yeah, we would have skipped that one because like 83 minutes, you know, that's, that's kind of hard to justify a movie of now, if it was a MCU movie at 83 minutes, you can be sure we would actually be there, but we do have to make allowances sometimes for this is not going to be popular enough to bother with. So it sounds like support your local theater, go out and go see movies and Subscribe to Run P. We don't make people subscribe. Like I said, we want to make sure that like the, the anything extra stuff is to completely free and you don't even have to see adverts for it. Like there's there's no paywall to that one. It's just if you need to see the P times, we put a lot of work into this. And also it's it's kind of fair that I think that the people who really support us should get something extra for it because they were kind of supplementing the app for everybody else. I, I just felt that that was the, the best way to go. I know how I feel about subscribing to something every every month. Or, and I'm, I'm picky. If it's a website, like, no, I can read that information someplace else. I'm not going to subscribe to ESPN Plus because it's free on NFL.com. And it's the same stuff. So, you know, I get it. I'm just trying to make it so that you don't have to go back and work a full-time job. I, I would be really happy with that. You know, if there's anybody out there listening to this that's thinking like, gosh, you know, I, I wonder what it's like to be a mobile app developer. Email me, dan at runp.com. It's a great life. It's a great way to make a living. Uh, it gives you a lot of flexibility. If you get paid for it, <laughs> it provides uh, a pretty good lifestyle. So, um, you know, my wife just picked up programming in uh, right when the pandemic started. And we rebuilt the RunP app together, and now she's making really good money as a developer, you know. And she had no experience with uh, app development before this. And, you know, I go to her with for questions now. So, Dan Gardner, thank you so much for your time. This was fantastic. Uh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And, you know, you're one of our, our best fans uh, helping promote the app. Everybody's got their own you know, social media and stuff. If you just go out there and share it, we don't pay for advertising because, well, it's pretty ineffective. As they say, half of advertising is a waste of money. You just don't know which half. We really 
really appreciate all the support we get from our fans. We are back and we are still in the question and answer section of Ego Fest 12. You guys signed on for it, so let's take another question. This is from Paco. As usual, I apologize for my poor grammar, vocabulary, and especially because I'm poor as a rat and I can, I think this means I can't contribute with Projection Booth as much as I like. That's fine, Paco. We all do what we can. In 2020, you did a 1969 special. I think it was 2020, but I'm not sure, where you talked about 1969 movies. Have you ever thought about another special like this? Is 1969 your favorite, your favorite film year? The 1969 stuff came up just because I'd say around September, October of every single year, I start to put together the list of movies that we're going to cover the next year. This year's a little bit of an exception because I've already got way too many things slotted for next year. But when I was doing the list for 2020, and Paco, you're right, it was 2020. When I was doing that list, I started pulling stuff over from my I'd like to talk about list into we're going to talk about list and then started like... I start to group things and just say, oh, here are, you know, all of these Czech films. Here are all of these. Oh, look at this. Here are four films that all are about, I don't know, Sherlock Holmes or something. And it's just like, I will naturally as a human start to group things together. And as I started grouping things together, I started to realize I've got a lot of movies here that all seem to have been made in the same year. They all seem to be from 1969. And it was just the luck of the draw that there were so many movies all from that year. And if I was smart, I would have done this in 2019. So then it would have been the, what, 50th anniversary of all of these films. But instead, because I'm an idiot, it was the 51st anniversary (laughs) of all these films. So, yeah, that was just total luck or bad luck that I covered all of those. And then I decided let's celebrate it and played up and did that little Iggy pop intro and stuff. And just, you know, really played up the 1969-ness of things. Even when we, when we got to check timber, there are a couple 1969 movies in there as well. So 1969 is not necessarily my favorite film year. I don't know if I have a favorite film year, maybe 84, 86, just because of nostalgia for a lot of movies that I saw in that year. In those years, I should say, that was junior high, first year high school type of stuff for those. I don't have any plans of doing another year celebration. And if I did, I probably already should have started thinking about 2023 and what movies were from, what, 1973 or 83? I don't know. So yeah, no plans for doing another year celebration, but maybe if I get my shit together in 2024, I'll talk more about 1984 movies. So we've already talked about some, and we've talked a lot about 1986 films. I just kind of noticed that one time when I was putting stuff together, like, oh, wow, we've talked a lot about 1986 movies. Maybe that's because I was finally able to go to the movies on my own, or there were a lot of really good movies released that year. Uh, 1969 is a very good year, so it's a personal favorite of mine. 
It was a very good year. And yeah, had I really been thinking this being my 50th coming up here in a little bit, I would have talked all about 1972 films. So, and it was also the 50th anniversary of uh, Deep Throat, going back to our adult film conversation. He did have another question here as well. Some festivals and some streaming services around here, not sure in the U.S., are removing Russian films. What do you think about this? I'm old enough to remember the South African cultural embargo, but right now it seems a bit extreme. So I don't know if we are removing any movies here from the streaming services or festivals. I did mention that in May we are doing Soviet cinema. So that's going to include a couple Russian films as well as, and we're calling it Soviet because it's not just pure Russia Films. There are filmmakers and films from post-Soviet states or pre-Soviet states, so from other states than just Russia. I think it is a little extreme to remove Russian films from film festivals and from streaming services. I think, if anything, if you want to understand people that using film is a great medium, whether it be older films or current films, I mean, don't punish... <laughs> Tarkovsky for Putin's mistakes. You know, don't, don't confuse, you know, we, we already talk about separating the art from the artist. You know, when you brought up films that might make me uncomfortable, like might make me a little uncomfortable talking about powder, but still deserves to be talked about and probably talk about a little bit behind the scenes kind of stuff for that. We talk about separating the art from the artist. I think we should be able to separate the art from the political surroundings. It's not like these are, again, propaganda films that are out here talking about how Russia should invade Ukraine. If they are, then maybe we don't put them in our festival this year. Maybe we put them in a time capsule and then look at them in a few years and go, oh, wasn't that interesting? But I think everything should be seen and everything should be talked about. I think that censorship is probably the enemy of all art. and so. Why are you doing that? And especially, why are you punishing these poor filmmakers? I mean, it was so difficult to see films from the Soviet Union for a long time because of the Iron Curtain. Quit doing that. We need to see these things, and they need to be out there. Right now, it's even kind of tough sometimes to see stuff from China, just because there's not good distribution of a lot of Chinese films. So one or two films come through, and you're just like, oh, wow, this is fantastic. You know, like... That Drive My Car movie comes out, and you're just like, holy shit, this is fantastic. It's like, well, there's a lot of other films that are being made by this country. I know that's Japanese, but it's like, there's a lot of other things. So if you think this is good, you should probably see a lot of these other things. If you think Parasite was great, you should see in more South Korean cinema. So I would love to see stuff that's being made in North Korea right now. I don't think that a lot of stuff is, but <laughs> if it is, let's see it, because it might reveal. That is probably propaganda. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the same idea as changing the name of Russian dressing to, well, Thousand Island, because they're practically the same thing. It's like, what's the point of that? <laughs> so stupid. So stupid. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't even thought about that. I haven't heard any rumblings of like, oh, this is not on Netflix anymore or something weird like that. But, but what Russian films were on Netflix <laughs> to begin with? Right. It would have to be more like the Criterion Channel who I don't think would pull Stalker, you know, going back to that film or et cetera, et cetera. 
He ends here. I almost forgot to include this. And that's it. Thanks again for your podcast, man. I wanted to include his thanks in there. Yeah, that that's all silly, silly business. Well, I think people are smashing their Russian dressing or stupid shit like that. Or like people are making weird like comments and threats to Russian immigrants or people that have been here forever with Russian names. And just like people who were hating Asian people because of COVID. It's like, are you some sort of confused motherfucker? It's it's that weird fragility in people that I don't know. Doesn't, I don't even know how to explain it because it just boggles my mind every time I see an example of it. It makes no sense. It's an anger that can't be, it's, it's that fragility mixed with that anger and it's a bad mixture. And this is the only way I know how to express it or something. I don't know. It's very strange to me. Next question before I get too political. Also Ukraine. Yeah, also Ukraine. <laughs> Jason Jeffers, I'm familiar with this guy. First of all, thanks for what you do. The Projection Booth is simply the best movie podcast around. You know your stuff, your interviews are fascinating, and you keep the tone light without trying hard to be funny. That's because remove all <laughs> that's because he removes all the laughter, Jason. Since you just started the shabby <laughs> detective, my question is if you could cast any actor as a killer on Columbo. Who would you choose? I think Jack Lemmon would have been great. So likable that you don't want him to get caught and brilliant at playing an exasperated, nervous guy. Boy, ain't that the truth? That is an awesome question, because most of the time people are talking about who should be Columbo in a remake. Of course, it's Mark Ruffalo. Or Natasha Lyonne. I mean, she's basically doing that in Russian Doll. But... Hopefully, Russian Doll has been taken off of Netflix because it's got the word Russia in it. Yes, there's an example. <laughs> I know who I would like to be a killer on Columbo. Ed Bagley Jr. Oh, yeah. He's going to be on an episode. I'm curious as to when you guys are going to get to it. Which season is it? Do you remember? I don't know. I'd have to look it up again because I found it on the... I had to go to the Columbo page, DB, because it's not listed as a credit on Ed Bagley Jr.'s page. Because I, I found the picture, I was looking for pictures of him, and and I and so I looked on, scrolled through his credits, and of course he's got so many credits. I'm like, my eyes were glazing over, but like it has to be within a certain time frame to be a Columbo episode. And I kept going up and down and up and down, and never seen Columbo. And so I think I went back to my image search and found out what that episode was called, and then found that on the Columbo page. But I'm not sure. I'm not on my Columbo. So it was like a, a TV movie, maybe, or if it was an episode of the show. Well, every episode kind of is a TV movie. They're all like 90 or minutes to two hours long. Chris is very confused because he's just like, do I call these movies or episodes? I'm like, well, they're episodes. He's like, but they're movies. I'm like, well, kind of, yeah, they're they all fit that. Well, you are in luck, sir, because Ed Bigley Jr. is actually on two episodes of Columbo. One from 1994, so that's the rebooted Columbo from ABC, and that episode is Undercover, Season 12, Episode 3. So it's going to take us a long time to get to that. Unfortunately, it's also going to take us a while to get to How to Dial a Murder from Season 7, Episode 4. That's also young Kim Cattrall in there. 
But that one, it is Nicole Williamson, who is a very unusual Columbo nemesis. It, mostly you would know him as playing Merlin from Excalibur or Cagliostro, I think it is, from Spawn. He's got that great Shakespearean delivery, and he is a terrific nemesis for Columbo. I kind of wish he was in there more like a Jack Cassidy. God, as far as other villains, like living in, well, I mean, God, Timothy Carey would have been an amazing villain, but he's already fantastic friend of Columbo, Bert, as well as the owner of a bar from the first time we see William Shatner. He, uh, he switches from being Bert the chili seller to a guy who runs a bar. Um, see who else would be good. I mean, kind of going along those Jack Lemon lines, I think Walter Matthau would have been a killer villain. Bring in the Matthau. There are so many good at Yule Brenner mm. would have made a killer Columbo villain. Who's the guy that hosted Unsolved Mysteries for all those years? Yeah. Robert Stack? Mm. He would have been great. Lloyd Bridges would have been incredible. I think John Polito would have been an amazing villain for Columbo. Would have liked to have seen that. Or Mike Starr would be a great villain for Columbo. How about David Patrick Kelly? Or Michael Wincott? I know the name. Michael Wincott is the gravelly-voiced actor who was the main bad guy from The Crow. Oh, yes. Top dollar. Oh, Eric Bogosian. He'd make a good Or Abe Vigoda. Oh, my God. <laughs> Well, yeah, he made such a great villain in, in Godfather because you didn't expect him to betray Michael. That's very true. I would throw Angela Lansbury in there just so you could have, I can imagine, a Jessica Fletcher crossover. You know, I notice every time you go someplace, somebody dies. What is the common denominator here? It's just one thing that's been bothering me. <laughs> <laughs> Everywhere you go, a murder's committed. Don Knotts. Oh my God! Yes. <laughs> well, gosh. <laughs> or I keep trying to tell you, Lieutenant. I wasn't not, anywhere when, near when there. When you bring up Don Knotts, I think of Norman Fell. Oh, so I'm going to go. Clue Gulliger would have been incredible. Oh, yeah. Or Lee Marvin. Lee Marvin's. Lee Marvin. I don't think Lee Marvin would put up with Columbo shit. This is true. I think that would be the time where Columbo actually gets attacked, physically attacked by the villain. That might be, yeah. That would be an outlier episode, because I think he'd get his ass kicked. Carol O'Connor. Oh, and then, so then, Rob Reiner. Rob Reiner. Or oh. Sally Struthers. Ooh, Sally Struthers yeah. would have been good. <laughs> or, even better, Edith. Dean Stapleton. Oh, Columbo! Zach Grenier, or Grenier would be another good one. He was the boss from Fight Club and he was he's also in that the uh, the good wife and he was also in Deadwood. Speaking of Ian McShane who also was in a Columbo but he was not the villain unfortunately. Or Powers Booth would have been a good one. So funny story about Zach Grenier and I did not tell plan on telling this story. <laughs> so I was trying to get a hold of him what was it? I was posting about, cause when I was posting about the Fight Club episode, like right after the Fight Club episode came out, the whole thing about the Chinese change to the ending hap 
was became a news story. I think it was like two weeks later. And I think I was posting about that. And then this guy posted on my, on my Facebook. And I know this guy as a gentleman from when I was a college DJ. There was a DJ who was there before me and many years after me. And I don't know how many years before me because I feel like this guy was actually part of the furniture. And he was also on WEMU and he ran U of M at WCBN 88.3 FM Ann Arbor, he ran the Jazz Till Noon show. And so when I was doing the overnight shift, he would be the one that came in to relieve me. This guy went by the name of Arwolf Arwolf. And I took a long time for us to know that his name wasn't actually Arwolf Arwolf or even had Arwolf in his name. His name is Ted Grenier. And he made this comment. He was like, blah, 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 my brother, Zach. And I was just like, oh, that's funny. You both have the same last name. And I was like, hold on a second. I remembered how Arwolf looked. And then I remembered how Zach Grenier looked. And I was just like, you guys are brothers. <laughs> I was like, then I had to go out and like look him up. And I'd be like, wait a second. And then I found out that their mother was a Polish radio announcer. And their father was a sound engineer at WBNX in the Bronx in the late thirties. And I'm just like, what the fuck? So this guy's been on, you know, like radio runs in their family. And then of course, one of the sons becomes this actor. So it's just so weird to find what a small world it is. And I was just like, dude, why didn't you put me in touch with your brother? Yeah. You came in a little late here, guy. Once again, things that could have been brought to my attention yesterday. Yeah, come on, Arwolf. Come on. <laughs> so were they from that area? From your, or just went to school, or he just went to school there or something? You know, I don't know where they grew up. Because really, other than talking about music, I never had a conversation with Arwolf at all. And he was always, I mean, you remember Laszlo from Real Genius. He kind of reminded me of Laszlo a little bit, just the way that he would kind of come in in the morning. And he, like, he only really existed to me at the radio station. Like, I never really saw him outside of the radio station. You know, I mean, is he aware that you do this podcast now and, and talked to these people and talked about a movie that his brother was in? He might be aware of it. I'm not sure. Oh, I'm just looking. Our wolf is actually on. Uh, the IMDb. I had no idea he was in a, a movie called Love Letter to Ann Arbor. So too small funny. World. Yeah, it's a very small world. So yeah, I'm not sure if he's aware or not. I actually asked our wolf a few years ago. There's a project. You know me, Mark. You know that I have a lot of things going on all at the same time. There's a project I've been wanting to do for the longest time. I was at NoirCon this kind of get together that we have in Philadelphia. It was supposed to be in LA back in 2020. Obviously that didn't happen. I was in the last one that happened in Philadelphia and this gentleman was reading a story and it was this whole thing about David Goodis and Philadelphia and music and how important music was to David Goodis's writing. And he came up with this whole like playlist and actually Cullen, who, you know, was the, the sound engineer and he was the one like playing all these music clips. And I was like, I really like this. And I think it would be great to take this guy's story and put it over this music that he mentions in the story and some of the songs that 
Cullen was playing. Woody Hout, I think is his name. I was like, well, I don't want to read this. Like, I need somebody who's got a little bit more gravel in their voice. Like, maybe next time I'm really super sick and I wake up with that, like, <laughs> more of a Tom Waits voice. Like, a Tom Waits would be perfect. And I was like, you know who would be my second choice if Tom Waits isn't available is our wolf. I think he would be great. So I actually reached out to our wolf and he was just like, yeah, I'm way too busy. And I'm like, okay, I have no, I have no time period for this. So like, if you have time over the next five years, and I think it has been about five years, if you have time over the next five years, here's the music track is cut all the music together. I timed it. I've got all this stuff set. One of these days, I think I might have to be the one who reads it, but I just don't have any gravitas to my voice. I wish that I did. Or I could do like Father Malone thing and like deepen my voice. Not His voice is not deepened when you hear him normally, but when he records promos, he deepens it. It's like, man, maybe I could do that, but I don't know. My other Long-term plan is one of these days I've got a friend who has access to an old out-of-tune peony, and I and he has agreed to play a whole bunch of old Christmas songs, like not necessarily the ones that you associate with Christmas right away, but like I saw Three Ships or Good King Wenceslas, some of these like more, not obscure songs, but just the ones that you don't hear on side A of the Christmas record album. For that, I want to imitate Tom Waits because I think Tom Waits should record a Christmas album, you know, and I want to do that, you know, like, again, I don't know if I could get voice that gravel. Maybe I should start smoking cigarettes and and try to get there. Or, unfortunately, John Polito is dead. He would have been another great person. That is very true. Great voice. Drinking whiskey and smoking cigarettes. Yeah, Yeah, that's I think that's the only thing you can do to get that voice or yell like for. 12 hours straight, I guess. This is my plan for the Christmas album, a la Tom Waits. You may even talk about this when you talk about the Patreon stuff. This is sort of a a leading question here. But I think I saw it asked either on Facebook or on Twitter. How can listeners find out what you have scheduled for the year? Yes, you cannot unless you pay... I think it's $5 a month on Patreon. And then every month around the 20th of the month, I release an episode like a mini-sode where I talk about what's coming up the following month. I try to give you a little bit of lead time. I used to do like a letterboxed list and actually Rain Alexander used to keep a list of all the movies that we covered. I'm not sure if she's still doing that or not. Rather than do that, I've by rather than kind of spreading the word. And again, if you listen closely, like I've given away a whole bunch of stuff that we're covering over the next however many months. But for sure, every single month I'm doing these mini-sodes where I talk about what movies are coming up, any sort of like, hey, I'm on this audio commentary. Hey, check out this, you know, guest spot, any of those kind of things, just to try to have something to justify that $5 level. Like if you're at $10, you get every episode released to you early and with much fewer commercials. But if you're at five bucks, then you get that mini sewed five dollars and above. And then I think it's three dollars, you get my thanks. So I was like trying to find a way to incentivize people at that five dollar level. So you get a little bit of a heads up. This is what we're covering the next month. All right. Dallas Norvell asked again, two or three part question here or maybe separate questions. 
Have you ever thought about doing another episode on a movie you already covered? Yes. Actually, we've done a couple things where, like Manos, The Hands of Fate, of all movies, we went back after there was a restored version of that and talked to the guy who restored it, as well as just kind of talked more about the movie Death Game. We talked about Knock Knock and Death Game and a bunch of other things. And then we went back and did the screenplay reading, which was a lot of fun. And speaking, that goes all the way back to the very first question as far as screenplays. I would love to kind of start to do more of that screenplay reading thing. The next one I would want to do is One Crazy Summer. Because if you listen to the episode we did on Better Off Dead, Scream and Steve Holland talks a lot about how different the screenplay was for One Crazy Summer. I want to sit down and figure out, and now with Zoom, it's a lot easier to do this because we did the Death Game one on Skype. And so all the tracks were mixed together. But with Zoom, I can have them all separated, which helps. It didn't, didn't have to do a lot of editing with that one, luckily. But I would love to do One Crazy Summer. But another heads up, we're going to be doing a redux on... Eyes Wide Shut, because there have been some really good books, or at least one really good book, plus a really good fan edit of Eyes Wide Shut that have been put out over the last, like, two years. So we're going to go back and talk about that. And then the one exclusive to Ego Fest listeners, I really mm-hmm. want to go back and redo our episode on taking a Pelham 123, speaking of Walter Matthau. Just because I don't feel like we did enough justice the very first time. That was like episode three or five, something like that. And really hadn't found the tone of the podcast yet. And I just, I just remember not really feeling like I did that film justice. So I'd love to talk about that. I've now I've found the screenplay, the novelization. Of course, there's the TV remake plus the Tony Scott remake. So we can still continue to talk about those things. Lick my bunghole motherfucker, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, talk about that movie the way that it needs to be talked about. Cause I, I think taking a Pelham one, two, three is a fantastic movie. I've been trying to talk to Hector Elizondo for years. Still haven't done it. There was a guy who used to come in, Brushes with Greatness, starring Mike White. There was a guy who used to come into the blockbuster that I worked in, in Ann Arbor. And he came in one time, and I had to look up his account, and I noticed his last name was Elizondo. And I was just like, oh, just like Hector. He goes, yeah, my brother. Another weird brother story, right? And I looked at the guy, and I was just like, motherfucker, I think this guy's not playing with me because he looked exactly like Hector Elizondo. So I was like, oh, okay. He called your bluff and then you're just like, I don't know what to say now. (laughs) He sure looked like Hector Elizondo. And that's a very specific look. Yes, yes. And and that that is a a doozy of a movie that I have just grown to love over the last couple of years. It's, It's become a one of those couple times a year movies for me now. Robert lately. Shaw versus Columbo. There you go. Oh, oh who's the fuck, other? right? <sighs> oh, all I mean, the character actors in that movie are amazing. And I, and I, of course, I don't remember any of their names. 
Hector Elizondo was born in New York. I see nothing <laughs> hey, about people, Michigan. People move around. Yeah. He was really good at basketball and baseball. His baseball skills were good enough for him to be scouted by both the San Francisco Giant and the Pittsburgh Pirates. I never knew that about Hector Elizondo. His his brother could have, have gone to school, you know, out of state. He might have. Maybe he was just like, I love Ann Arbor so ni- so much that I want to stay here. And this is a question I, I think may have come up last time. Actually, I may have even asked a similar question. Are there any lost episodes you just tossed because something didn't go as planned? And I, I know you've lost files before. <laughs> I think I may have even witnessed that at one point. It was an interview. And you had like four or five, I think, different interviews. Don't remember losing the interview. And one of them just kind of disappeared. I'll have to go back to the last <laughs> Ego Fest, I guess, and listen to that. <laughs> I'm sure you probably did recover it, uh, either via Audacity or out of your... I want to say it was... Oh, I deleted that and I hadn't saved a version and something, something else. But I think you did end up finding it. Anyway, back to the question. There were lost interviews for the tracks episode. And so I actually went back and interviewed. Speaking of episodes that I've done over, I redid the tracks episode. So I took the original discussion. I trimmed it up a little bit just because there were some ums and uhs and different things in there that I just... You know, I tightened that sucker up and then re-interviewed because it was my, my original podcast partner interviewed Shadow Stevens and Robert Davi for that. And he lost both of those interviews. So I finally got back with Shadow Stevens. I kind of played into the, the writer with no hands episode that we did because the producer, the dead producer that has talked about in that or dead writer, I should say, I think he wrote tracks. So I talked to Shadow Stevens a little bit about this guy. It was like an entree to talk to him. And plus, what other movie is a starring vehicle for Shadow Stevens? Not many. And he's very proud of that movie still, which is great. I love that movie. Robert Davi, not able to get a hold of him, even though we've talked about several Robert Davi films over the last few years, especially an American Christmas Carol. Maybe my politics got in the way of that one, but unfortunately I was not able to talk to him because I would have liked to have talked to him about Showgirls as well or God Die Hard. I mean, he's been in so many great films. But yeah, as far as like an episode that's lost, I mean, people are probably still waiting on the 2001 A Space Odyssey episode, which is still not edited just because there are so many fucking interviews for that. And I've actually added a couple a lot of those interviews were done by my first podcast partner, by Justin, right around the time where we, quote unquote, broke up because he was doing interviews without me. And I was just like, well, this is kind of weird. He's like, well, no, this is a very personal film for me. That's why I'm doing this. And without you. And I'm just like, OK. So that was back when I would get really put out by like, I was like, no, we're supposed to talk to people together. And it's actually a lot easier if you just talk to people one on one. I mean, that worked out pretty well when Rob and I would interview people and when Justin and I would interview people with Rob and I, we would do, we would have a shared 
Google document and we would just kind of like type to each other in the document or have the questions already written out and it'd be like, okay, you take this one. Wait, I've got one more follow up. And so we would just kind of talk to each other while we were doing the interview, which is also slightly distracting, but I thought it worked out okay. But yeah, so the 2001 episode still out there, still just needs to be edited. It's going to be a doozy when it comes out. I, I'm having Mandela effect because I always, every time you bring up that that one hasn't come out yet, I'm like, I've listened to that. What are you talking about? Nelson Mandela is not on that <laughs> episode, nor is Stephen Biko. <laughs> But yeah, otherwise we really haven't had anything. I mean, I'm a, I'm a pack rat and I save everything as much as I possibly can. And I haven't just thrown anything away. I mean, even if there's episodes, if there's interviews, there's a couple of interviews that are still just kind of sitting out on Dropbox right now where it's like, I just got to do something with this. And they're usually either like one-off interviews where it's like, well, I'd really like to talk to this guy and then try to find an home for that interview or people that have come out after I've put up stuff and they're just like, oh, I worked on that. I would have loved to have talked to you about that. And it's like, well, once again, things that could have been brought to my attention yesterday, I'd still like to talk to you. I'm not going to go back in and put your interview into this, but I will release it as a separate interview. And again, it's like, can I find another episode where this might fit in maybe even better than original context? That's a nice thing to have those extra, you know, every once in a while we'll go, Oh, there's, you know, more with whoever. And a lot of times I think I assumed earlier that that was just, you know, you got them. And I know this happens too, because you did it with the, with the author of the 800 page book on the brood where you talk about, more than just the book on the brood and that you can pull out and, and use as a separate interview. That is actually a smart thing to take that. Oh, Hey, now I'm available. Oh, well, you know, the fucking episodes out, dude, you don't want to say that, but you no, know, that's a good idea to, yeah, well, let's talk about that. Roger Donaldson from white sands where it's like, I wrote to his publicist and I was just like, Oh, I'm so sorry that we couldn't talk, but here's the episode anyway. And she's like, Oh, well, yeah, we can set this up. And I'm like, Oh my God, really? Like I had bothered you for a year before. And I'd even bothered you when we were talking about the big clock because Roger had directed no way out. I would like to have talked to him about that. So, yeah, it was nuts. <laughs> but you're smart because then you can add it to that and you might be able to. Well, let's talk about this other thing, like you said, and then have something maybe to create another episode on. So that, yeah, you're a smart, smart cookie. Woohoo! I'm a college man! Um, this kind of goes along with this. When you interview, how often do you get all your planned questions answered? Or rather, do you always have more than could be answered? Most of the time I get everything answered, though every once in a while I will forget to ask something. Like, I still kick myself that I forgot to ask Harold Faltermeyer about the crazy frog version of Axel F, which is very weird. Like, my coworkers are much younger than I am, and a lot of them know this crazy frog version of Axel F, and they don't even know about Beverly Hills Cop. And I'm just like, how does that happen? So I guess it was because of the video and the earworm version of that song. I'm just like, that's so strange. But I wish I had asked him that. So every once in a while, I'll forget to ask something. 
sometimes there's like a whole other avenue I could go down with people. I don't try to abuse their time. Like you, Mark, are an exception. I'm abusing your time right now. We've talked for almost three hours here. Oh, but my God. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But there are a lot of people where it's just like, okay, we're going to talk about these. This one movie is what I want to talk to you about. You know, that's the excuse I use to talk with you, but there's so much more I want to talk to you about. You know, let, let's, let's get to this. Let's get to that. If we have a good rapport, then I might say, Oh, I'd love to talk to you about this other thing sometimes. And I might get a, Oh, well, that would be fine. Just give me a call. Oh, do you have my personal email address? Do you, do you need my phone number? Like some of that (laughs) stuff where it's like, okay, great. Like you did have one last question here. Also. And this is Dallas Norville still. Also, let me know if you're caught up on Drag UK versus the world so I can ask you questions and vent a little. I am all caught up on Drag UK versus the world. I think B was just dragging ass and should have been cut out way earlier than she was. I think that keeping Baga around for so long was awful as well. I think eliminating, I think it was Lemon right off the bat. I thought Lemon's performance was fantastic. I loved her, her rap in the first episode. I thought her death drop from on top of that, that platform was fantastic. I don't know why they got rid of her so early. I mean, it was just dead weight. Baga and Jujubee just did not deserve to be there. Yes. I liked Baga's performance on Snatch Game. That was okay, but Juju B as Cher was just an embarrassment. She shouldn't have made it to the final four. And I love Juju B, but she, she just was not showing at all. And they made comments about her not showing up and she still made it to the final floor four. I'm glad that the person who won won. I think that was the right thing to do. And I was not surprised when Baga and Juju B were just eliminated right off the bat in the final. So. Dallas, if you got any more about Drag Race versus the world, we can talk. And then what's going on, the last episode that I watched, as we're recording this, they just said the Lollapalooza or whatever on the other season that's happening. And yeah, we can talk about that as well. So good stuff. But maybe by the time we release this episode, they might have fewer than six contestants because it's really... Uh, drag race, regular drag race is really taking a sweet time with eliminating contestants this year. Well, I think you two have a lot to talk about. Apparently, this isn't really podcast related, but it is film related. Have you ever walked out of a film? And if you have, have you given said film a second chance? So not like stop a film. I've done that. Like back in the theater days, thought, okay, no more. Screw the two fifty three four dollars or whatever I paid. I'm leaving. This might be controversial, but I have walked out of so many films. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, most of those walkouts have occurred during film festivals. I'm not sure how many festivals you've gone to, but if you go up to Toronto, you well in years past. I don't know if they're doing this anymore because the last time I went to the Toronto Film Festival, it was. It wasn't being run as well as I thought it could have. It was like the first few days for press screenings, there were very few things to see. 
And then you get to like the Wednesday, Thursday, and it's all of these movies that are playing pretty much at the same time. So you have to be very cognizant as far as what you're picking to see. And I remember there was one morning where I wanted to see either blindness or the good, the bad and the weird. And, you know, they're also doing midnight screenings. Regular screenings, not press screenings, but you know, the Midnight Madness shows are the ones that I, I live for. So I would go to Midnight Madness to see those with a, th- with a crowd. And then the next morning I'd get up and go to a screening. So I ended up seeing the good, the bad and the weird. And I fell asleep during that movie. And I, but I have gone back since and, and watched it and I enjoyed it. But there were a lot of other movies. You know, like all of these movies are playing at the same time or roughly around the same time. So you have to be really careful with which ones you pick. So if you pick a bad movie, bail. Just get the fuck out of there. Do not stick around. If there is a bad movie, get out of there. So things like Blue Car, Gummo, gosh, there have been so many that I've walked out of at festivals. A lot of them, I can't even tell you the titles because I'm just like, this is awful. There was one, the most controversial film that I ever walked out of was a movie called Hell's Ground. And it was a horror film from, I think, Pakistan. And it was this big deal like, ooh, Pakistan's making a horror film. And it was awful. It was just a terrible movie. And that was at the Fantasia Film Festival. And that wasn't one of those where there's another film playing at the same time. It was the last film of the day, close to midnight, if not at midnight. This movie starts, it's awful, and I'm just like, I'm out of here. So I left. My buddy, Rich, who I've talked about a lot on the show over the years, he's the one who first turned me on to Death Game, he ended up sticking around, and when he came back to the hotel where we were both staying, I was just like, did I miss anything? Was it any good? He's like, no, no, it was awful. And he told me the whole rest of the movie. So I wrote my review of the movie, and then the producer of the movie called me out and was just like, you walked out of this movie. You have no right to critique it. I was just like, isn't my walking out of a movie enough of a critique? Like, shouldn't that be the Mm. review that it was so bad that I walked out of this movie? And I even, I don't know if I included like, and I heard the rest from a good source who also wrote for, for me at the time. Like I trust Rich and I trust Rich writing. So it's just like, no, you know, like your movie was so bad that I left. Like that should be the review. So when it comes to film festivals, I walk out all the time because there's other things to cover. If they're showing just one show at a time kind of thing, I might stick around and watch stuff. As far as like movies that I actually paid for, I walked out of one from 1992, directed by Kenneth Branagh, written by Rita Rudner, of all people, and Martin Bregman, and that was Peter's Friends. I don't know if you or anybody else remembers Peter's Friends. It's kind of a Big chill with a very sad Stephen Fry as the titular Peter. I want to say that he has AIDS and that he is like getting ready to die and he brings all of his friends together. It was just such a fucking mope fest. It was crazy how not funny or even (laughs) poignant this movie was. And you've got all these great comedians in there. Emma Thompson's in there, Hugh Laurie's in there, like Hugh Mm -hmm. Laurie and Stephen Fry. A lot of people know that they were a comedy team for a lot of years. Kenneth Branagh directed as well as was starring in it. I 
think he was married to Emma at the time. Just a lot of really good, talented people in there. But I fucking hated that movie, and I ended up walking out. My other big walkout was Blues Brothers 2000. Walked the fuck out of that thing. I don't know if I've walked out of too many other movies since then, other than festival stuff. Obviously, turning stuff off is a whole other thing. But yeah, those were my my big walkouts. And then have I given them another try? I had to fucking watch Blues Brothers 2000 for the podcast, motherfucker. Wow. Still sucked. <laughs> As I'm watching it, I'm just like, I remember this. I remember this. I remember this. Oh, I stopped remembering. Okay. I must have walked out right around here. <laughs> I, I vaguely remember the title, Peter's Friends, and that's about it as far as that movie goes. Quite a few of them were in. Because you're saying that, and I'm like, wait a minute. This cast is ringing familiar for me, but a lot of them are in Sense and Sensibility, which was on the other day on TCM or something, and I was watching it. I don't know if Kenneth Branagh was involved in that or not, but Emma Thompson's in it, Hugh Laurie's in it, a couple of the other people. Yeah, I don't know if that was post-breakup for... I'm not sure. It was 95, I think, or 96 when that came out, I believe. But anyway... It was just striking me as being very familiar, but I'm like, no, that's not the movie that was on. <laughs> well, a lot of them were also in um, one of my favorite episodes of The Young Ones, the University Challenge episode. Actually, the episode's name was Bambi, and that was Stephen Fry, Hugh Laurie, Emma Thompson, and one other guy. Who was that? I can't remember who the other one was that were all on the opposing team at University Challenge. Stephen Fry played Lord Snot. Emma Thompson was Miss Money Sterling, and Hugh Laurie was Lord Monty. It's so funny. I was, And when that was on, I, all I could think of to tell my daughter was, that's House, and she's never, I don't think she's ever seen an episode of House, but I'm like, I, I have very little, and know he was in all these movies, but back then I had no idea who he was. It's just, Funny how these people, I'm good for them for having really long careers and making hopefully a lot of money over here in the States on TV shows that run for however many seasons. Yeah. And then he shows up in things like Tomorrowland, but that wasn't his fault. I don't think I've ever, the only movie, and I don't think we did, but we very seriously considered it is Under the Cherry Moon. I was like, why am I watching this? And otherwise, it's it's hard because I'm thinking, it's going to get better. We paid money. What do we do now? They're not going to give us our money back. Just sit through it. Should we leave? And going into that movie thinking, you know, it's another Purple Rain. And man, was it not? Yeah, that's a real shame because Purple Rain was so good. I've never tried any other Prince movies. All I remember is I felt like he was trying to do like a surreal I should probably watch it again to see if it's even what I re- think I remember it as being. But it felt like he was trying to, like, a, like Prince trying to do a Fellini film or something. And it just wasn't the right combination, I guess. If I was a kid and I had been able to walk out of, of a movie, I probably would have walked out of Heartbeeps. Because that was the first time that I think I, I actually hated the movie that I was watching as I was sitting in. A lot of times you go back later and you're like, oh, I watched, I watched that movie and think I liked it. But now it's like, what was I thinking? I 
I, I think it was a revelation for me, like, oh, movies can actually be bad. This is so, and I was an Andy Kaufman fan just from Taxi, not really his, you know, I didn't know about his whole stand up and wrestling and all that shtick until much later in life. You know, when Heartbeats came out, I think I was 10 or 11, probably. So I just knew he was the funny guy on Taxi. But man, oh man. And I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who just absolutely adore that film. I think I watched that movie multiple times in the movie theater. I remember loving it. And then I tried to rewatch it. Uh, it was probably 95, 96. And I was just like, yeah, this is pretty bad, but I still have fondness for it. I mean, I, I mostly remember that stand up comedian. Well, he wasn't standing, but that kind of Henny Youngman robot, you know, like and some of those, the whole thing, you know, like the whole thing with the cigar and how he'd move his hand back and forth like that. And, you know, I'm staying at this gorgeous hotel. I told the clerk I got a leak in the sink. He said, go ahead. Customers always right. I remember liking the score to that, too. But, oh, gosh, I wouldn't even have any recollection of that. It's been a lot of years. What are some of the obstacles of the interview process? So funny that you should ask that, Mark, because I just had a very big obstacle. Oh, my God. So way back in 2016, cast your mind back. This is pre-COVID, pre-Ukrainian war, pre-Trump. Well, Trump is a political candidate. This is 2016, and I become friends on Facebook with a actor known as Dian. I don't know if it's Bakar or Bahar. I say that name, a lot of people are going to say, who is that? That is the man who most people would know as Squeak, a.k.a. Little Bitch from Basketball. That is so fucking weak. How am I supposed to get a chick in that? No, don't worry, dude. You couldn't get a chick if you had a $100 bill hanging out of your zipper. Yeah, I could. No, dude, you're a little bitch. I am not. I don't even know why I hang out with you guys. Because you're a piece of shit. I am not a piece of shit. Well, yeah, but you're a little bitch. Sure. God damn it, man. I swear you guys rip on me 13 or 14 more times. I'm out of here. Also, Chota Man from Orgasmo also was in Time Warped, which is a... Pilot, failed pilot, unfortunately, for a Trey Parker and Matt Stone joint. Really more Trey Parker. Same thing with he was in Cannibal the Musical. Well, I love all those things that we just talked about. And I asked him, hey, I would love to have you on the projection booth sometime to talk about Orgasmo. Because I feel like of all those movies, that's the one where he shines the most. Yes, Squeak is fantastic. He's really good in Cannibal the Musical. He's just got a couple lines in Time Warped. I think he might have done some voices on South Park, but really I want to talk about Chota Boy. And he's like, oh yeah, that sounds great. And this begins a saga that has lasted until... Actually, as we record this, Mark, it has lasted until yesterday. So, all right. Obstacle number one, I'd love to talk to you. Can I call you so I could record him on Skype? Can we Skype or phone? No, no. I would like you to call me here on Facebook. That's my preferred method of contact. Okay, well, I can't really record that. Basically, he told me to figure it out. (laughs) So it takes me a long time 
but I finally figured out a way where I could record someone that I speak to on Facebook Messenger, like that phone option, the one that you always hit by mistake and you go, oh, fuck, sorry, I didn't mean to call you because nobody uses that thing. Finally find out a way to do that. I can't record my own vocals if I do that, but I could record his. Like Chris Stashy was kind enough to experiment with me with that. And I finally found a way I could record him. I couldn't record myself. Okay. Finally got that done. So that took probably, I don't know, a fucking year for me to figure that thing out. Finally reached out to the end again. And I said, okay, finally figured it out. I'd love to talk to you. Well, you know, SAG rules say that I can't really be on a podcast. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I just spoke last week to Ed Asner, who I believe was the president of SAG for a while, and he had no qualms about that. That's that's very interesting that you say SAG rules prevent you from doing that. Huh. Okay. Well, all right. You know, I've, I've had nobody else ever say that to me before in the hundreds, if not thousands of interviews that I've done. Okay. All right. So I'm out to dinner with Rob St. Mary a few years later, and I bring up this story. And Rob is actually a member of SAG because of some voiceover work that he got to do. So he goes, oh, no, no, no. Because the rule is, if you are a host of a podcast, then you have to let SAG know and probably be paid SAG rates. So, like... All of these guys who are both SAG members and the hosts of podcasts, so your Paul Shears, your Mark Morans, you know, any of these folks, any of these actors who are now podcasters as well, they are probably making SAG rates or having to do some sort of thing with SAG in order to Screen Actors Guild. Sorry, in case people don't know what SAG is. They're probably having to do something with SAG in order to be a podcast host as well as a SAG member. And that was probably them protecting themselves because maybe they weren't getting paid or some. I don't know what it is. So, hey, Dan, I found out. You don't have to worry. You're going to be a guest on this podcast. You are not the host. You don't have to worry about this. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, we'll have to set something up sometime. Okay, great. So we're doing this month of adult films. And I go, you know, we're going to be talking about some serious films here. We're going to be talking about Memories Within Miss Aggie. We're going to be talking about Little Orphan Dusty, even New Wave Hookers, you know, might be a little rough for some people to hear us talk about, especially because we're going to have to talk about, you know, Tracy Lords and underage sex and all this kind of stuff. So let's have a little bit of an antidote to that. Let's finally do this orgasmo episode. So being a dick, I go out onto Facebook and I go, who can I get to talk to me about orgasmo? And I'm friends with Jason McHugh out there, who's the producer. I tag him. I tag Dean. I tag Matt Stone and Trey Parker, who I think it's the real guys that I'm quote unquote friends with out on Facebook, just to basically publicly shame them into agreeing to an interview. So Jason McHugh, boom, right back. Yep. No problem. Sounds great. Cool. Dean, after a few days, yes, yes, that sounds great. Okay, great. So this is six weeks ago. Okay, Dean, great. Let's talk. When can we do this? Okay, give me a call Friday and we'll see if this works. Or basically message me here on, on Facebook. 
So I message him, Hey, can we do this? No, I can't. Oh, my, my dog. It's the one year anniversary of my dog dying. I'm way too upset. I'm like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. The dead dog excuse a year later. Okay. Well, this is fucking ponderous, man. Ponderous, fucking ponderous. All right. I'll reach out to you again next week. Okay. Deanne, what's, you know, how's this going? Oh, you know, I'm still upset about my dog and I'm fighting with my wife a lot. Oh, well, isn't that a shame? Okay. I'll reach out to you again in a few weeks. All right. Da 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 da. Hey, Deanne, you know, it's two weeks now. You know, how about, how about it? It's like, no, no, this week isn't good. Okay. All right. No, no, no. Okay. Deanne, how's it going? You know, let's set something up. How's that sound? What is it? Okay. Reach out to me again on Friday. Sounds good. You know, just so you know, I'm running up against my deadline. Quote, why do you have a deadline? So I say, well, we're going to be covering adult films this month. And I would really like to have this as kind of this antidote, you know, for these adult films. Okay. Oh, that sounds like a really good idea. Okay. Thanks. Hey, Dion, it's Friday. The day that you said that we could do this. Is it all right if we do this at, say, 3 p.m. your time, 6 p.m. my time? Well, given this a lot of thought, I really don't want to be associated with anything that has anything to do with the adult industry. I really don't like those people. I'm like, I'm like, okay, well, that's a shame because I really wanted to talk to you about your work in basketball and time warped and some of your other stuff as well. You know, I know like probably shouldn't be saying any of this stuff, but this guy's never going to hear this. And He's just been kind of a cocksucker about all of this stuff because this has been going on since 2016. So six years. I'm going to skip it. After more consideration, I don't want a continued connection to adult films and that sort of association. It's a seedy world and I dislike almost everyone involved in it. Orgasmo was making fun of it, not celebrating it. Thank you for the invitation to speak with you, but this isn't a topic I wish to discuss. Thank you, but I don't want to maintain any level of connection to porn. I give up. After how many years did you say? Six years? Six. Six yeah. years. After six years, I throw in the towel. I'm never going to be able to speak with this guy. <laughs> Fuck it. You lasted about five years and 10 months longer than I would have because I, I probably would have given up after the first drug off, to be honest with you. So that goes towards your dedication, Mike. So that's, I try my best to be dedicated. Yeah. There are certain people where I have really been trying for years and I will get an occasional nibble and we'll reach back out and yeah, just try to, Keep some of these things warm. I've been trying to talk with Mark L. Lester, the director of Commando, eight years maybe. Mark L. Lester directed a film called Night of the Running Man from 1995. And speaking of my friend Rich, Rich reviewed it for the zine I used to do, Cashiers to Cinemart, years and years ago. And then I watched it because I try to do my due diligence. I try never to publish an article about a movie that I've not seen so that if somebody asks me a question, I can actually talk about it. Rich, of course, is very reliable. He's not some sort of maniac who's going to be making up a plot. But also when I read his review, I was like, this sounds really fucking good. And I think it's a really fucking good movie. So yes, I've been trying to talk to Lester about his early days with Corman, about Firestarter, about 
Commando, but I'm like, I really want to talk to you about Night of the Running Man because I don't think too many people are talking about that movie. And it's like, yeah, let's, let's chat. And that's been one of those like, okay, well, write to me over here and gives me the email address. And I email that. I never hear anything back. Every once in a while, I'll reach out. He actually wrote back right around the time of Commando. And I was like, oh, this will be great. But I, he never wrote back. And that one I did not, I didn't do the Kenneth C. Johnson thing of waiting because I'd still be waiting today with an episode on Commando just hanging out. See, that makes sense to me. He's done some interesting, right? You know, I, I, I don't think it's foolhardy to, to track people down because a lot of times the payoff is, is very rewarding. I just, I'm not as patient of a person, I think, as you are. <laughs> when people give you their time, it just, it's so valuable. And I don't think people realize that. So that's one reason why I try to chase folks down for many years sometimes. It's just like, if you can give me that little bit of time. And sometimes it's just kind of crazy where it's just like 20 minutes of your time sometime over the next 12 weeks or five years. <laughs> <laughs> six years it's like you know just just that little bit and there have actually been people that have written back and said i can't refuse you 20 minutes of my time over the next 12 weeks there's nothing you know and i usually put like over the next four weeks six weeks six weeks six weeks eight weeks 12 weeks it's like just depending because you know that's another reason why i plan all this shit out so far in advance it's like it might take me a year to get a hold of this person. It might take me that long for me to either track them down or to just agree to something. I try not to be a pest. Sometimes it just doesn't work out. That would be, that would be very frustrating. I think for me, I haven't really, you know, I don't, I don't have interviews like you do, but I've been put off not for a very long time, but, and I don't think I would last nearly as long. I, I really don't because it gets, it does for me get really frustrating. Like I'm keep asking either you want to do it or you don't. So if you don't great, we'll, I'll do something else. It works out for the most part to have quality interviews on your show, like the alienation show. Good stuff. Good interviews. Yeah. I try my best. Like there was just a guy I reached out to at the end of February and he's like, Okay, I'm busy until March 7th. Reach out again after that. So March 10th rolls around and I'm just like, hey, touch and base. Want to see how your schedule looks over the next few weeks. It's just been crickets since then. So I'm like, okay, I'll reach out again in another two weeks, maybe another three. Thank goodness for Google Calendar because it's filled. Like if you were to look at my Google Calendar for the next few weeks, it's just like ping this person, ping this person, ping this person. <laughs> <laughs> well, if people are telling you to contact me again at this point or via this manner, and then you do, and they say, and contact me at this time via this manner, you know, that, I don't see that as pestering at all. So that's, that's, yeah, you're chasing down the, the stories. So that's why I need an intern, an unpaid intern who will do lots of work and I'll take all the credit for. Chris Dashu said that's like his dream job. So you might want to contact him to be my in intern. It's just, just to be an intern and do thankless work for somebody. Wow. Wow. Yeah. He could definitely serve me. I mean, be my intern. 
It is that time. It is time for the thank you, thank you, thank you roll call. First up, I want to call some attention to these folks. Hey, you know, you got to go in and sign up for what level you want to be at. You might be missing some bonuses that are available depending on where your contribution levels are. So let me say again, Maestro, Mike Trippiano, Jennifer L. Kello, Christian Von Schnack, Robert Servina, Raul Benavides. Y'all need to make sure that you are signed up correctly in the system so that you get all of the goodies that you are promised, my friends. Now that that's out of the way, let's talk about from the highest level in the land all the way down to the usher level. Everybody counts. I appreciate all of your donations, but I especially appreciate Kyler Fay. Kyler Fay, thank you so much. Currently, as far as I know, the only person who is at the regional manager level, and you will be hearing from Kyler later on this year, as well as some of these other folks, because they are the ones who are giving at the levels to request movies. We've had a few folks on already. We will get a lot more as the year goes on. So, also with that, Andrew Hendrickson, Jordan Nash, Von Kohlmeyer, Ludo Round, Jessica Shires, Radio 8 Ball, John Jenks, Ellis Kish, Urban Green, John Adam, Brian Tessitore, Dallas Novell, Catherine Connell, Steve Byrne, Pensaliero, Emily Barney, Stuart Rankin, James Grant, also known as Jamie Gum, Tyler Rathbun, Journey of an Estate Podcast, Vincenzo Natale, Conrad Silas, Kay Lynch, Andre Idu, Judith Main, Jack, Winter Tyson, Victor Laval, Tilo Wickland, Bjorn Unar, Robert Spencer, JJ-A, Nathan Lenker, Jeremy Lemos, Nick Britt, Rob St. Mary, why is that name familiar? Drew A. Yavor, Richard Wellens, Nick Williams, Jason Jeffers, Edward G. Pettit, Zachary Clute, Culture Shocked, Dusty McGowan, Gabe Weisert, Faisal Azam Quisheri, Lori, Nico Schmidt, P.T. Ryan, Tom Norwood, Colin Gallagher, Dylan Davis, Mark Peterson, Tiago Barbosa de Miranda, Bobby Power, Gabriel Martin, Fat Danny Palladino, Jonathan Melville, Chris Martz, R.W. Lovejoy, Bob Vickers, David Hart, Cabe Gaplin, Justin Whiteman, Ed Green, Patrick Lohmeyer, Brindley Andrews, Harold Wallen, Gray Cat, 
Wake Up Heavy. Hey, that's you, Mark. Martin Johansson. Todd Martin Cobbler. Jim Latzkowski. Kenny Siegel. David Wolf. Tony Hudson. Jason Davis. Patrick Macius. Skiz Sizik. John Redford. David Bertrand. J.A. John Rapetti. Heather Drain. Chris Cooling. Stephen Casey. Charles Wood. David Bullock. K.L. Young. Jim Stevens. Daniel Dahl. The After Movie Diner. Bill Ackerman. Kai Clear. Odo Mahoney. Andreas Muller. Niklas Gredis. David Springfield. Eric Peterson. Shane Hamilton. Robert K. Howard Pirat. Kyle Weiler. Sven Rufus. Todd. Michael Sackers. The X-Cast. Mike Bell. Nick Barzak. Leon McShannig. Monica Sheets. Lutz Bakker. Susan White. Cotton Bott. Kelsey Sorensen. Paul Sibson. Hugh Beauchard. Jason Kaufman. Alastair Montgomery. Brian Rosenberg. Kelsebub. Christine King. Mike Crate. Darren Williams. Morris. Brian Holt. Alan Ricks. Michael O'Connor. Mark McElliott. Eric Luther. Thomas Ronka. Stewart. Boots Century. Matt Clark. J.C. Eric Hygrath. Myrna. Matthew Clark. Antti Holopainen. Alvin Akarma. Mick Brooks. And last, but definitely not least, David Jowden. Thank you, everyone, for your contributions to the Projection Booth. Can't thank you enough. As I say, you are the ones that make the show go. I always appreciate you. Thank you.